Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week. But if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. A very happy holiday season from Ryan Sprague here at Somewhere in the Skies. And we have got an awesome awesome live stream for you tonight uh holiday themed clearly new year's themed everything in between we are going to be breaking down the top ufo stories of 2022 it has been a hell of a year a lot has happened a lot has not happened which i'm sure our amazing panelists will discuss with us tonight as well but yeah this is going to be fun this is going to be your one-stop shop at the end of the year to kind of remember what has happened and and it was a lot and what to look forward to in 2023. Um, so without further ado, let's bring in our panelists for tonight. First and foremost, we have my co-pilot here at Somewhere in the Skies. You know her from Rebelliously Curious. And the debrief, we have got Chrissy Newton. What's going hey. on? Good. A little under the weather, but feeling the Christmas, or the holiday spirit, I should say. We're matching, Ryan. <laughs> I love it. I know, I know. You're physically I asked everyone the reindeer. to put something to the table, yeah? the and you did exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Good to see you. I love it. Well, hey, we'll go easy on you tonight. Um, I know it's that time of the year. People are getting sick, so if anyone yeah. out there is not feeling too well, we're wishing you the best, but hopefully we'll keep you distracted for a few hours here tonight. Chrissy, let's bring in our next guest. We have from that ufo podcast one of my good buddies and colleagues doing some of the best work out there today in the ufo field especially with podcasting andy mcgrillen what's up my man so hi i've got my elf that's me being christmasy so hi everyone i uh, love good it evening. good morning good afternoon whatever you might be hi 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 and i love the t-shirt man you'll have to tell us more about that later on i will sure. i will um cool Awesome. Well, let's bring in our last panelist. First time guest, I think, on Somewhere in the Skies. I'm so excited, so honored to have him with us. Also doing amazing work in the UFO field. 
That is Vinny Adams with Disclosure Team. What's up, my man? Uh-oh, we got you on mute. You are a polite man. There you go. I, that's bad habits. I feel like Dan Zetterstrom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I got the memo. I got the memo. <laughs> Look at this, guys. We did not plan this. I asked everyone to wear something or bring something to the table Christmassy. And obviously, Vinny and I, not only do we have similar sweaters, but we're also drinking our red Andy. Cheers. I love it. Cheers, <laughs> cheers, guys. Tonight's going to be awesome. We already have a super chat from Red Panda Koala. Thanks, man. That's Yay. extremely kind of you. I do want to mention before we do anything else, um, all of the super chats, super stickers tonight are going to a cause that's near and dear to my heart. And that is the Women's Refugee Commission out of New York City. Um, this is an amazing organization uh, that is, um, it's, it's a 501 non-governmental organization that aims to improve the lives and protect the rights of women, children, and youth displaced by conflict or crisis. So yeah, if you're feeling generous tonight, throw some money in, it's going to an incredible cause. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's dive right in guys. We've got a lot to cover tonight. So, so much. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if you guys will agree with me on some of these, so I'd love to get your thoughts and opinions on them. But we're going to start, what better place to start than with the UFO congressional hearing? Uh, this happened on May 17th. Uh, Representatives Andre Carson, chairman of the House Intelligence Subcommittee on Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation, led the hearing. Uh, the hearing was the first time in more than 50 years that the U.S. officials have provided testimony for public consumption about their investigation into UFOs. Ronald S. Moultrie, the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, and Scott Bray, Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence, were basically the ones put in the hot seat for this thing. So let's, I guess, start right down the line. Chrissy, UFO congressional hearing. I never thought I would see this day again. Hasn't happened in yeah. over 50 years what did you think about this? Was this big news or not? Oh, gosh, yeah, 100% big news, for sure. I think there's many times, too, when you're watching, you just kind of rolled your eyes. A lot of that, I think, with all of us in, you know, who likes the UAP topic and obviously wanted more. So, but, you know, it's a first step. And I always say this, and I think everyone else would agree, it's the first step. And for getting more of these and we're getting movement, we're doing the right things and people are doing the right things and they're starting to have the right conversations. We just obviously want more transparency, but this is the first step. So I think it was great. And I watched it and it was just it's a historical moment. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about some of the highlights um, and lowlights yeah. of this thing. But Andy, let's move to you, man. UFO congressional hearing. I know, like... This is probably one of the biggest things that's happened since you got into the the UFO world, I would think. Uh, what did you make of this? So I remember watching it and commented at the time that I was in the room. I'm in now my kitchen uh, watching it on TV because I think it started early morning. And hi to everyone in the chat. I'll try and remember to speak clearly. Um, <laughs> I, I was early morning or afternoon, afternoon here in the UK. And at the same time, the highlights of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial were yeah. on in the sitting room and my wife was watching that. And I think it was just, I remember saying to her, this quite unique and historic event is happening and I'm watching this where they're actually talking about UFOs in a professional political setting live on, yeah, it was on YouTube, wasn't it? Um, mm -hmm. 
but the interest of the, of the world was on Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And I think for all you you think sometimes we've come a long way, and we have, and the progression's been phenomenal, little moments like that reminded me that actually, if I go outside and go round about and ask everyone what they're watching at that time, I think every other household would have been watching either Johnny Depp on trial with Amber Heard or something else. Um, and it was, like Chrissy said, it was a first step. I think it was equivalent of trying to put on your first concert and getting some bands to come along and not quite getting the bands you wanted, but you've, you've learned some life lessons and hopefully next time you can put on Woodstock. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a bit of a stuttering start, but I think it was a start that was probably necessary and expected. So yeah, like you say, we'll get into some of the details, no doubt. Yeah. A good analogy, I think. Yeah. You wanted Blink-182, guys. You got newfound glory. I'm sorry. (laughs) The way it is sometimes. Anyways, Vinny, what did you think, man? Initial thoughts on the congressional hearing, the build up to it. We, you know, many in the field thought, oh, my God, it's happening. Like they're going to bring an alien out onto the congressional floor. Um, What'd you make of it, man? Um, well, following on from what Chrissy said, it was, it was huge. You know, it was the first time since I think 68 that we'd had, uh, you know, public hearings on the UFO subject. And, um, so it was huge. It's the first step, as Chrissy said, in, in, in moving forward, talking about it through political realms, you know, um, and I suppose following on from what Andy said, I feel like I should have a, a mega pint of red wine with me, but <laughs> I don't. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it was never going to be that clear cut that we were going to get, you know, instant disclosure with, with Moultrie and Bray being there. It was, it was never going to be just spewing out, you know, all the information that we wanted. And it was very clear when it started that that wasn't going to be the case, but what was good to see was that we had people asking really serious hardball questions. And yeah, like you said, we'll get into a few of the points if you want, but yeah, I think it was just historic. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go ahead. I've got a small video here, um, kind of the some of the highlights from it. I'm going to go ahead and play. Uh, I think we got two videos. They're very short, guys. We do have a lot of videos accompanying tonight's thing. I think to really show, you know, how big some of these stories were. They made it into mainstream media and whatnot. And um, yeah, let me go ahead and pull up the first one here. This is from the congressional hearing. And this was, uh, I believe, yep, this was Andre Carson kind of introducing it, which I thought was actually one of the better parts of the whole thing. So let me go ahead and play that now. This hearing and oversight work has a simple idea at its core. Unidentified aerial phenomena are a potential national security threat, and they need to be treated that way. For too long, the stigma associated with UAPs has gotten in the way of good intelligence analysis. Pilots avoided reporting or were laughed at when they did. DOD officials relegated the issue to the back room or swept it under the rug entirely fearful of a skeptical national security community. Today, we know better. UAPs are unexplained, it's true, but they are real. They need to be investigated, and many threats they pose need to be mitigated. We need to know, sirs, the status of the organization and the obstacle to getting it up and running. Secondly, you have to convince the audience today, and most especially our military, and civilian aviators, the culture has changed. That those who report UAPs will be treated as witnesses, not as kooks. Thirdly, you need to show us, Congress, and the American public, whose imaginations you have captured. You are willing to follow the facts where they lead. 
You know, we fear sometimes that the DOD is focused more on emphasizing what it can explain, not investigating what it can't. I love that last thing you said. Mm-hmm. It's so telling. It's like, yeah, well, of course, they're going to like roll out what they can explain to show that they've done some work on it. But it's those unexplained, unexplained, I guess, um, that really are the things we want to know about. And the fact that there were so many unexplained things within this first kind of go around with this um, was pretty telling. I, I don't know. What 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 do you guys think? What were your what were the highlights? What positives did you take out of this thing? Did anything really stand out to any of you? Whoever wants to take it. Yeah. So, so for me, I remember at the time, just while I well, I do remember, was the language they were using. Because even though they weren't directly discussing, you know, recovered materials as such, that, that kind of language is being used, you know, mentioning things like and I'm paraphrasing like saucers and Something else and just that setting, having that sort of language that we use quite freely was really a kind of step forward. Um, and it, I think what was probably more interesting, it reminded me a little bit, and you're going to talk, talk about some of the Brazil stuff later on, the Brazilian hearings was very much civilian-led, but we were told by journalists like Ronnie Vernet there was a lot of military interest in the background and political interest in the background where they were actively watching what was happening, what was being said, with a view to get involved next time. And I get the feeling there was a lot of eyes on this tentatively, looking to see, right, here's here's where the water temperature is. Where do we go from here? How do we get involved? Do we get involved? People at the Air Force, are they trying to just figure a way to stay out of it altogether? Um, I don't know, but I think there was probably a lot more eyes and ears on this than we know. And uh, that was a real positive for me, the language being used in that setting, thinking, what could this sound like in a couple of months or a couple of years' time? Hmm. Right. What is it leading to? I like that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great response, uh, what's too. Yeah. 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 Where is this going to go in the future? And what does this mean? And this is actually like first step, too. Um, Rap Panda said, you know, the stigma, and he, it's true making a comment towards that and moving forward and giving the ability for pilots and everyone else who's working within government and outside to feel that they have the ability to speak and not have right. their wings taken away or, you know, or be labeled as crazy. So I think, it's, I think that for sure is like number one. I think, I think maybe that's even the theme of this year is removing stigma. And we're seeing that a lot just coming out of parliament and everywhere else and speaking towards it, especially towards pilots. And we'll talk about this too. Hopefully, you know, the show is just what happened with pilots. And at the end of the year, you know, a couple months ago, that being able to, to have this conversation and Ryan Graves and Ben Hansen, all these people coming forward, with these amazing stories. So I think that is, you know, a first step and the hearings were, were part of that. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. yeah Vinny, what were your favorite parts of this? I mean, there was a few little points. I think the first thing that really struck me was that you could see the frustrations of Congress. You know, we know from the last couple of years that the UAP task force moving into AOIMSG or AIMSOG, that there was just not enough work being done. Now, whatever the limitations were, whether it be staffing, budget or whatever, we could see that Congress, or we kept hearing that Congress were frustrated with what was happening or lack of what was happening. And this was the first time that we saw publicly that the, the questions were getting thrown back at uh, Bray and Moultrie about like, come on, what's going on? That was really good to see firsthand live, uh, you know, on 
TV, YouTube, or, or whatever. Yeah. There were a few small things in there that really stood out for me. Things like the Bray admitting that the Nimitz case is unresolved. You know, I feel like they were very quick to to downplay a lot of the things that they were, they were asked about, um, and we kind of expected that. But just big things like that, Nimitz really really stood out. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I think one thing, uh, I, the one last thing would be that uh, Gallagher asked about whether there are any other programs following Project Blue Book leading up to ATIP, were there anything, and uh, the, the comment from Moultrie was that there was nothing con- con- contractual, which kind of spoke volumes, because I think a lot of researchers knew that the, there was possibly a lot of things going on behind the scenes uh, with uh, yeah. UFO programs. Uh, yeah, there were little things for researchers especially that were like, mm, we can see right through that. So. Yummy, yummy breadcrumbs. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned yeah. Gallagher. Um, let me play mm. this quick clip. You know, this dude was fire at this thing. Yeah. I, you know, st- whatever your politics are, I don't care. Um, this dude, like, did his homework or had people doing his homework. We might even know some of those people, to be completely honest. But let me play this clip really quick. This I will. It's also been reported uh, that there have been UAP observed uh, and interacting with and flying over sensitive military facilities, particularly, and not just ranges, but uh, some facilities housing our strategic nuclear forces. Uh, one such incident allegedly occurred uh, uh, at Malmstrom Air Force Base, in which 10 of our nuclear ICBMs were rendered inoperable. At the same time, a glowing red orb was observed overhead. I'm not commenting on the accuracy of this. I'm simply asking you whether you're aware of it and whether you have any comment on the accuracy of that report. Let me pass that to Mr. Bray. You've been looking at UAPs over the last uh, three years. Uh, that data is not uh, within the holdings of the UAP task force. Okay. But are you aware of the, the report or that the data exists somewhere? I have uh, I have heard stories. I have not seen the official data on that. So you've just seen informal stories, no official assessment that you've done or exists within DOD that you're aware of uh, regarding the Malmstrom incident. Uh, all I can speak to is you know what's within my cognizance of the UAP task force, and we have not looked at that incident. Well, I would say I mean, it's a pretty high-profile incident. Uh, I, I don't claim to be an expert on this, but that's out there in the ether. You're, you're the guys investigating it. I mean, if, who else is doing it? If something was officially brought to our attention, we would look at it. Uh, there are many things that are out there in the ether that aren't officially brought to our attention. So how would it have to be officially brought to your Excuse attention? I'm bringing it to your attention. Sure, sure. <laughs> oh, my God. What an asshole. I yeah. love it. Like, yeah, it's great. And these guys, like, look, I know this is something they don't want to be doing. We know that we know a lot of the people in the UAP task force, like this was a side thing that they were hired to do or ordered to do. Um, So like, I understand to an extent why they don't know the rich history of UFO and nuclear installations, but I mean, come on, that's probably the most alarming national security breach with all of this. So it's hard. It's hard. I know a lot of it is anecdotal and like we only have some people involved with these incidents uh, coming forward about it. There is no documentation for some of it, but I mean, come on, that case is known worldwide and they had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. Uh, someone mentioned the Wilson documents again, say what you mm-hmm. will about them. Uh, the Wilson screenplay as John Greenwald might call it. <laughs> um, but apparently Christian in the chat is saying that, uh, Gary Nolan was the one to actually brief, um, uh, what's his name, Gallagher on this. So, uh, man, someone Chrissy interviewed not like a week and a half ago. So 
they're listening, guys. They're definitely listening. And they're coming to us for some of the information, which Elizondo has been saying from the beginning. So, yeah, pretty crazy. Congressional hearing, say what you will about it. It's going to lead to more stuff. So, yeah, any last words on that before we move to the next story? I suppose the one thing I would say is that they certainly fell back, fell back on the sources and methods line an awful lot during that hearing. It's almost mm-hmm. a, a get-out clause. And we understand sources and methods. They can't divulge anything, but it almost felt like it was a tagline to, like, not say anything. So Right. Mm-hmm. I, I get it, man. Well, not only that, using the – we'll talk about that in the classified briefing thing. Oh, sure. God. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. if you and I had yeah, wine – roll every time. We're, we're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had played a drinking game, dude. Every time they said, uh, we're not yeah. privy to that or we don't know or classified briefing, like mm-hmm. I would be dead on the floor of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. I swear. It's <laughs> frustrating to say the least. But um where, yeah, yeah. Just to play devil's advocate then, Ryan, were they potentially deliberately put out there to look like that? Yeah, man. That's like put them put them under fire. I kind of the scapegoats, I guess, in so many respects. Pick that Maybe. video, pick, pick VLC media player, you know, VLC, <laughs> yeah. no, no offense to VLC, but the, the whole, <laughs> it's very easy with any of this stuff to just plant little seeds throughout it. We talk about the Bob Lazar story, just little things throughout it doesn't make the whole thing untrue, but it puts enough doubt in people's mind yeah. that, again, Very the common person flicking on who might see. Vinny shared it on his Twitter feed and go, oh, some UFO stream on just now, and they'd click on it. And after two minutes of watching a random section, go, these guys are just saying they don't know anything, and they come off it. So yep. is that kind of stuff deliberate? That, that might be very conspiratorial, but hey-ho, here we are. Um, yep. Maybe that kind of stuff happens at those really senior levels. Like, throw these guys under the bus. They don't really know what they're talking about. So, yeah, put them out there, rather than yeah. someone who would sit there and be like, I could tell you, but I'm not going to. Plausible deniability. Very good point. Or take 25 minutes to play a a clip. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. God, that was like so cringe. So many cringe moments during this congressional hearing. But welcome to ufology. Let's move to the next group that's going to be investigating UFOs. This is, I'm really excited about this, to be completely honest. We have got, how do I get this in here? There we go. NASA, NASA. Uh, how do I do this? Um, I don't know how to get it back to slideshow, so we're just going to have to deal with it. Oh, there we go. Welcome to technology, Ryan. You'd think you would know this by now. <laughs> um, NASA. NASA's getting involved, guys. They're commissioning a study team to examine UAP from a scientific perspective which I think is key. The study will focus on identifying available data, how best to collect future data, and how NASA can use that data to move the scientific understanding of UAP uh, UAPs forward. Uh, this is very important, I think, too. The agency is not part of the DOD's UAP task force or Arrow, and um, they will, however, coordinate widely across the government regarding how to apply the tools of science to shed light on the nature and origin of UAP. The study is expected to take about nine months to complete. It will secure the Council of Experts in the Scientific, Aeronautics, and Data Analytics communities to focus on how best to collect new data and improve observations of UAPs. Um, This is awesome. They're not just going to be looking at military incursions. They're going to be looking at aerial phenomena uh, across the board, across the world. So 
yeah, what do you guys think? Is this um step in the right direction? I don't see how it can't be. Yeah, I think yeah. it's super exciting. Yeah. The only thing I was on the uh, the press line when they first announced this, um, just as a media member, and I was listening to the press conference before you know all the articles started rolling out. And I believe and I Quote me if I'm, don't quote me, I might be wrong, but I believe that they said the study, and this might have changed now since they've kind of later on have come out with later press releases. But I remember they first initially said that I believe the, it was $100,000 for a budget to do the investigation. That sounds I'm, right. I'm, yeah. Right. Like, but that's not a lot of money. Let's be honest nope. here. <laughs> right. For NASA, that's like, you can't even fly a jet up for that amount of money, I think. You know, I think it's like Artemis million, took maybe. so long. Yeah. Oh, right. Let's see. <laughs> exactly. So with that said, you know, I have questions around that. Like, what are the budgets? What are you doing? You know, how much money are you putting into this? Because that's what they kind of said off the hop. And everybody was like, wow, that's not a lot of money. Um, and you're doing a, re- a research on more research or on a report. So there are a lot of like gaps within NASA right now. And I know that they need to start in the beginning and I'm not going to rag on them. That's for sure. They need to start and do their due diligence and do what they're supposed to do. Um, But it felt like it was a report of a report and with very lackluster money. So hopefully that changes. And I think it will, because I think that's the, the blowback they ended up getting initially, but you know, we'll see where we go next year with that. But overall, I'm just extremely happy that they're involved. And it's just they have, they're having such a voice now, which is very needed and very wanted, in my right. opinion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, who's next? Andy, yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll caveat my answer by saying, same thing I've said about any governmental departments. NASA's a big organization. And mm-hmm. I think people look and go, NASA, never a straight answer, or NASA, they know what's going on. They is thousands of people based all over the world, okay, for a start. And 99.9% of them don't and work for NASA. Historically, I imagine a few folks involved with NASA over time have known a lot about the the UFOs that they may have encountered in their, their, their streams and, you know, when they're filming, Um but I reckon most of the people working there now are largely in the dark. But it's good, like Chrissy says, NASA are now involved. I think they should have their place in all of this. I would love to see their back catalogue. And, and one thing that I think is a positive, and I think I talked about this a long time ago when it came to like ATIP and stuff, and it might have been when Lou Elizondo was on the podcast or, or a conversation with Dan or something, you don't necessarily need a budget to go back and review old documents or to walk down a corridor and speak to someone in a different room who works on, you know, the ISS live feed. That doesn't really involve a a budget, as far as my understanding would be, just working in corporations and stuff. You know, so to to sit and review the NASA back catalogue, which is thousands upon thousands of hours of footage, is there a drawer somewhere where they have labelled, you know, anomalous phenomena, you know, space junk, debris, and literally, some of these people are not on this investigatory panel could literally be tasked with, you know what, there's a load of video or Betamax or DVDs or whatever they might be, MP4s over there. It's, just go through it. And there's all kinds of cool stuff you can watch just on YouTube, let alone going back to watch the official NASA stuff. And even then, if I was involved in this, this is off the top of my head, I would go onto YouTube and watch people's uploads of interesting NASA stuff like the ISS live feed, and I would go, oh, Ryan's put on his channel that something flew past ISS on the 27th of November 2022. I'm going to now go to the actual raw footage down the corridor, pull that up and watch the full unedited thing, 
does that involve a budget? Probably not. Just my time. So that, to me, I think is where I'd be starting with this investigation for some of these folks to go back and look at what is available of that footage, not to say all the interesting stuff, you know, Black Knight satellite and all that kind of thing is necessarily going to be there. And there's some pretty um, neutral folk uh, as pertains to their interest in the UFO subject on that list of people who are going to be doing this investigation. Um, Some of them are quite sceptical of the UFO subject, um, known to be, and I think that's a good thing because all that will do will lend weight and credence to any positive outcome of their investigation. And like you've all said before with the congressional stuff being the first step, I think that's what this is going to be for NASA. This is them putting their toe in the water to say, look, how can we get involved? How can we study this? Mm -hmm. How can we move forward? Maybe $100,000 isn't a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but what can that $100,000 turn into for a three-year funded program because we have found this, this, and this? So I'm on the positive side of this one, I think. Yeah, you you put the work in, and that's when the money goes up. Like This is the yeah. literally the reason for budgets every year, as we'll be talking about later on. Um, so yeah, I think you're right, man. The more they produce the more they're going to be like, huh, yeah, there's something to this. Let's put more money in it or let's shutter this because they found too much uh, for the more conspiratorial out there. Uh, Vinny, what do you think, man? NASA UFOs, finally. Like they, the ones who should have been doing this all along. Well, I thought it was a great thing. And I remember the day that it was kind of announced and obviously I've reported it on my social medias. But the first impression that I got back from everyone else was, Oh, it's NASA. They, they've known for decades what's going on. They've been airbrushing these things out for, for so long. Um, and I kind of, I kind of resonated with that to a degree. Obviously, we can't prove that, but I think the issue was that they've announced a pre-study. Um, and maybe, you know, I, I like what Dan Evans and his team um, said when they first announced this, but I think if they were aware of what the general public's views were on NASA when it comes to UFOs is maybe they should have done this pre-study behind the scenes and then said nine months down the road right we've done a pre-study now we're ready to study ufos and talk publicly Mm -hmm. about it and then analyze you know the footage from civilian government entities from uh other sources like they've said they're going to do this this announcement we're going to pre-study something so that we might study it down the road is kind of like here we go again nasa that whole never a straight answer and all that stuff you know which i can understand from the general public you know, um, for me personally, I thought it was a great thing. So that there's a little bit of conflicting viewpoints on it from from my angle. Yeah, for sure. I yeah, say a point I think to that, such a Vinny. weird relationship. Yeah, could please. Yeah, there's like I think you, it's interesting. I like the way that you you thought of that, like how to strategize going forward and saying we've done a report and like now here's you know this is what we're doing next. I think that's actually really really smart. Hey, Christopher Flame, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think that's really, really smart. The only reason why I think NASA decided to probably go ahead with that story first was for the fact that they probably wanted the press. You know, UFOs are so topical right now. So for them, they probably decided to go for it because they were like, you know, it's so hard for us to get press on every, not everything they do, but they have a lot of stuff happening all the time. So get used to cover stuff consistently, minus like Armis and like, and a bunch of other, obvious, um, 
other campaigns that are a lot larger, this is something that's topical in news. So the average person along with the UAP community would find it interesting and share it. So I feel like that's probably why they did it. But I actually like your strategy way better because that just sounds way more professional. Yeah, but at the same time, if you look at Bill Bill Nelson's comments last year were really big and it was like, here we have a NASA administrator talking openly about UAP. So I guess it's like if they're taking uh, a lead from him, then that makes sense. So I see it from that point of view as well, but it all just seems a little bit messy. Like they didn't yeah, I agree with you. I think it was messy too, but I'm happy they're doing it. But you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, the thing is like doing announcements like this is so hard at times to see how people are going to take it and how it's going to be received. So I'm just happy they're doing it, but for sure, sure. like, you know, we're all, everyone's going to always have a comment. There's a big list of people involved. And I wonder if they did keep yeah. it to themselves after four or five months halfway through the study, someone, they're all going to speak to different people about it. And then it comes out in the press that there's a secret NASA UFO study going on. Yeah. Yeah. Good point too. Good point. Yeah. You don't yeah. want mm-hmm. that. And I get, you see like the Bill Nelson stuff, he's kind of driving it and he's like, he seems from a UFO point of view, a good kind of spearhead to have there because he has an interest from his, his previous positions. He's been briefed on the topic in the way a lot of the kind of congressional and political leaders have. Mm-hmm. So, I think the openness is is welcome. Um, and do you know what? It's, again, it's that first step, isn't it? Low budget, a mm-hmm. lot of names aren't really UFO people, but that's probably a good thing because on the other side, if it was all UFO people, then it's going to be biased the other way, isn't it? So um, I get that, though. But yeah, can you imagine the headlines? Tim McMillan investigates NASA secret <laughs> UFO program. <laughs> Texting Tim right now. Do it. He's on it. He's on it. <laughs> oh man. And yeah, Andy, but you made a good point with that list of the people involved. God. Yeah, I you just scroll and scroll. My finger got tired. There were so many people involved with this, which is really cool and exciting. And you know, I've like the minute that happened, there you go. Yeah, see? And I know like John Greenwald's already started FOIAing all of them for like what they've been involved with, this, that, this, that. Um can you share who that was, or is that something coming up? Um, it's nothing secret because I'm not saying, yeah, it'll be something coming up like in five months because I don't think any of them are going to talk until it's finished. I don't think they're allowed. That's a professional right there. Yep. I love it. (laughs) All right, guys. NASA. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Let's move to our next story. Um, let me play the video, uh, because I think this will speak for itself. I'll give a little background, guys. Uh, we have... On June 12th, 2022, physicist reveals he's a UFO hunter for the Pentagon. I know, Andy, you've interviewed him. Um, the debrief has talked to him on many, many occasions. Have you, Vinny, before we give his name I away? I haven't, no. Me either. Yeah, I heard he's a nice guy, though, after a yeah. few drinks. But Chris, that's story <laughs> for another time. <laughs> One of the U.S. government's premier UFO investigators. Wow, they actually said that in the article. Uh, has stepped out of the shadows to openly discuss his work for the UAP task force. Uh, Astrophysicist Dr. Travis, Travis? Dr. Travis Taylor, best known for his work on Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, was also working as the chief scientist for the UAP task force. Um, Taylor earned advanced degrees at a young age, um, excuse me, and has spent his entire adult life working on classified projects with the U.S. Army, and uh, Department of Defense as a contractor. He wrote a book 
about how the U.S. government should prepare for alien contact, which caught the attention of Jay Stratton, a high-ranking intelligence official who has been involved with each of the Pentagon's secretive UFO investigations. Uh, let's play this small clip quick. This is George Knapp over at Mystery Wire, um, who assisted in breaking this news. We all wanted to know who was working on this UAP task force. And it was kind of a bomb drop for those in the UFO community or anyone who watched Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, the one and only Travis Taylor. So let's go ahead and play this video right now. You were instrumental in writing the report that went to con that was demanded by Congress that was made public, the 144 cases, right? I was one of the people who wrote uh, words that are in that uh, thing. It was a team, and we worked diligently on it for a long time. And, uh, you know, we... We started out with everything we could think of in, in the kitchen sink and put in it, and then uh, we realized it's going to a public audience and to Congress and this thing. So we had to write it in a way that they would understand and get the point. And the point, uh, the, the nine pages that came out, there's the, a golden nugget in those nine pages if people would just pay attention. Yeah. There were 144 cases we studied in a period of about three years. And in that time, time frame, of just studying 144 cases. And these were only cases that were from credible military sources, right? And not from just MUFON or, you know, because they may be having all of the world, but we picked sources that were we knew had a chain of custody of the data. And out of those 144, 143 of them, we still couldn't figure out what they were. Uh, I'm not here to, to uh, believe or disbelieve. I'm here to find out what's going on and do analysis on the data we have. And the data that we had, in many cases, there was more of it than what the general public has and what was released. And so when we say that we had a thing that was from multiple sensors and it told us multiple things, and we also had eyewitness accounts, uh, audio information, and so on, then you put all that together, it's a much bigger picture than just saying, oh, well, we're not going to listen or look at any of that. We're only going to look at the, what's on this few seconds of video, and we can tell you for sure from that few seconds of video what it is. I don't think there's a person on the planet that can really do that and do it honestly. So we certainly, if we've got platforms that captured other data, uh, and it's data from a sensor that nobody knows exists, we're not going to release that data because then you know the sensor exists. Right. So that seems to be, I think, one of the big things. Elizondo said this. Christopher Mellon has said this. Like, Literally, by telling you how we capture these things puts us in danger. You will know that these sensor platforms are there, what they're doing, where they're monitoring things. So that's why locations and shapes and stuff are redacted, which I remember when that thing came out and they literally redacted the shapes of these things. They're like, come on, you can't even give us the damn shapes of the UFOs. And they're like, no, because like, you know, this could give away adversary things or this or that or how we actually track them. So it makes sense. But OK, let's hear it. Um, Chrissy, I want to start with you only because I know you knew about this maybe a week before the public did is am i correct well, in this i don't say i knew because <laughs> i don't want to tell people they, they think i know everything sorry, in that context sorry. no but no but here's what i did know and what i saw more about more likely of what i saw so i was at scu the scientific coalition for uap studies with micah hanks and we were out uh, it's actually down the street from the arsenal in alabama uh, in Rocket City, crazy enough. And so we were there and Dr. Travis Taylor is there. So, and I was previously with him, with Micah Hanks, where we were at the conference in Utah. And then, you know, a couple of days later, we end up, you know, I didn't realize he was going to be there. We end up, we end up being in the same spot again. And I'm like, hey, Travis, good to see you again. Um, 
It's funny enough. But what I did end up seeing there between George Knapp and what I saw between Dr. Travis Taylor was obviously like, um, I should say Jeremy Corbell was there, George Knapp. There was a, it was a really wonderful group of people that were there. Um, and what I ended up seeing was, you know, you can see almost not, I'm going to use the word alliance, but you can see the conversations were happening. So I knew something was going to come out because you know, understanding that your relationships are really important and how you're reporting as a journalist or, or what you're doing, even in the PR side of things, extremely important. And so there was something happening. And I could tell that something was going to, was trickling and coming down the pipeline. Did I know that it was that? No, but I had no idea that Travis was going to say that, but I knew something was going to come out. Just, you know, just my feeling on that. Uh, and then a week later, that kind of popped up and I was like, I'm not surprised. But hey, yeah. I congrats to George Knapp. That's exactly how you do it. And, you know, they, he came up, he, they all, so many people were there and that's how you build relationships. But it's interesting how you see where alignment ends up happening in those spaces, but that's where information is shared, right? In one of those mm-hmm. cases. Yeah. And I know a lot and of I people. Be, I also really... could be wrong. That also might not be the case too. George might have knew that way before too. Let's say that. That's just my spidey yeah. sense is telling me that, but. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people were dismayed with this news. They're like, are you kidding me? The dude from Skinwalker Ranch, like, what? And even like Travis, when, uh, was it Dragon found out? Like, he even kept a secret from the cast of Skinwalker Ranch. And when, yeah. when Dragon found out, he was pissed at him. He thought they sent, he's a plant. Like, they sent him in here. Like, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, mm. What do you guys think? Vinny, let's go to you next, man. What did you make of the news that Travis Taylor was the chief scientist of the task force? Um, I was surprised, um, but not unpleasantly surprised. I like Travis Taylor. Um, very quickly after the announcement, he got a lot of, uh, there was a lot of stick online, on UFO Twitter especially. And, you know, he, he's obviously made some points on certain cases that the UAP task force looked at. And then we had a lot of pushback from other people. Um, I think we know the kind of people who I'm, I'm not going to name names because we're, we've all been there too many times. But it's like, do we believe Travis? Do we believe this guy who opposes it? And it's back and forth all the time. Travis has got the credentials. Um, so, I, again, I think for, for me it's a waiting game on these cases that they've looked at. Um, I'm not going to judge too quickly because I believe this guy or I believe that guy. So, yeah, I think it's it's okay. It's great. I like Travis. Um, maybe that'll come back and bite me in the ass one day. I don't know. But, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I just want to say hello to Douglas Sprague. This is my father, who um, oh. isn't too tech savvy. So when he hops in here, I'm always excited that he actually made it happen. So hello, <laughs> Douglas Sprague. Hello, Sprague family, if you're watching. Um, uh, my dad's the coolest. I got to get him on the show sometime. Um, yeah. That'd be so cool. Quiz yeah. Mr. Sprague on his crazy son's weird life. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks, Dad. And yes, I will bring the sweater home for sure. Um I like Vinny's. I like yours better, man. This was I'll send you. Person. You can have one. Your dad can have the other. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andy, before I move to you, brother, I do just want to um, to say uh, thank you to – we got Todd T with a $20 super chat. Thanks, man. Again, for anyone just joining us, we're doing a top 10 uh, – it's not top 10. It's a few more than that. A top UFO stories of 2022 here so that you don't have to. We've got it all for you here. You're going to learn what happened this year with UFOs. So thank you to Todd and thank you to Red uh, Red Panda Koala. All the donations tonight are going to the Women's Refugee Commission, a wonderful organization that I uh, that I love to support. So thank you guys. Andy, let's move to you, brother. What did you make when you learned this guy who you had interviewed um, 
uh, was the head chief scientist at the UAP task force. I was annoyed. Um, cause <laughs> yeah. I interviewed him less than a week before this came out. Um, right, so, right. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, ah, oh, George, uh, if only I'd known or if time had happened differently, but, um, just from <laughs> purely from a selfish point of view, um, yeah, it was, it would have been nice timing had it happened a week later, uh, or a week before, oh. but yeah, um, has Travis Taylor's TV work and the the editing of the mercy the, the mercy of the editing he's put at, and his associations with you know things like Alien Con and that kind of stuff, paints him in a certain way to a lot of people, um, especially the Skinwalker Ranch TV show and how it's filmed. That's up to people, right? However, yeah. Travis Taylor's CV and academical achievements tell a very different story. He is incredibly well qualified. We would be here for a couple of hours, Ryan, if I listed off all his kind of PhDs, degrees and and various different qualifications that that tell you why he is absolutely the type of person that should be involved in something like that. And I suppose I can say this as someone who's Scottish and gets a lot of flack for my accent, which I I don't bother, by the way. I, I like joking about it. He has an accent and he's got that southern US accent. So he gets judged on that as well by a lot of people. So... Here's a guy. Doesn't do many favors. Yeah, yeah, that, that's it. So you, you want someone with like a, a fancy accent, like Chrissy or Vinny, you know, um, or your, no. even yours, Ryan. That's <laughs> it. You, you expect something like that. Or when you watch Congress and you hear Moultrie and Bray and and all those guys talking, you expect something like that. Not Travis Taylor with that kind of southern drawl. But why not? And like I say, his CV and academics speak for themselves. Um, yeah, for me, uh, yeah, it makes sense. I don't think many people saw it kind of coming. And you're right, like, he, he did keep it secret from everyone. He says even Brandon didn't know that that was the case, um, which is which is totally fair enough. Um, yeah, as, and what does interest me, though, is still those kind of connections that this guy who wrote this very serious report is involved in TV shows and, like I say, the Alien Con stuff with Giorgio Sukulis, Nick Pope, and that kind of touring stage not production, but you know that that kind of format, which is quite ancient. Well, as ancient aliens, isn't it? But yeah, it's almost like in a crisscrossing of those worlds, like when Chris Mellon met Linda Moulton Howe, and you saw them in the same place at the same time, and it was like so ufology weird. meeting. Yeah, it was like a weird crossroad you don't expect to see in the same place. But maybe that's a good thing because, again, not to flip too much, but Ancient Aliens is one of those shows. I think the basis of it, there's a there's some truth there. I just think at some point it went way off the track and that's not to say that it's not got some foundation, but not everything is aliens, as the meme says. Well, yeah, hey, Travis, a few of us are trying to uh, pull in that ancient aliens thing. I, I won't go any further, but we're trying to bring it back to where it should be. So Never trust um, anyone that's on that show, Ryan. Never, never. <laughs> Everyone turn off this live stream right now. Or, shameless plug, look out for the new season of Ancient Aliens coming to you this spring. What? What did I say? Sorry. Um, very fair points, man. Very fair points. And I think, and, um, you know, John Greenwald did a really good interview with him quite recently as well. And I've always been on the fence about Travis, too. Just kind of how he carries himself on Twitter and stuff. Not really my thing. Um, how he responds to people and whatnot. Uh, and, and I mean, same could be said for Gary Nolan. I, I don't like how he kind of handles his, his himself on Twitter sometimes too, but a lot of people don't like how I handle 
myself on Twitter either. Um, but at the end of the day, it's the work they produce. It's the credentials they have that truly matter. Not speaking for me, but like for these other people who have the credentials to be speaking about what they're speaking about. And I think Travis did Can I just a wonderful mention, job. You, really yeah, good point, okay? And, and this isn't in a positive or negative way, but we don't know these people. And that's not in a conspiratorial right, right. sense because you could still talk about celebrities in the same way. Social media has given you access and given us all access to our favourite celebrities, footballers, actors, politicians, you know, influencers are now a thing within seconds. Whereas back in the day, people like Frank Sinatra, you know, you never spoke to them, you never met them, you heard stories and that was it. So you, you formed your own opinion in a really strange way. Whereas now, you literally have all this stuff presented to you. And you can literally see that in our workings of your favourite musician's head as they just spout out in 140 characters what they're thinking at that moment. So we've got this really perverted look at, voyeuristic look at everyone's lives. So everyone makes up that because I see this and I read this, I think this person is this. And you don't know what's persona. You don't know what's a protective layer that people put out. I know you say about like Gary and stuff, but I get why some people can be quite pissy online. Because they do get, I can imagine they get a lot of crap, you know, from from everyone or emails and DMs and all that kind of stuff. So why not put up a bit of a shell or just be really thick skinned and kind of blow it off? Um, so I, I can totally appreciate that from, from anyone, not just from a UFO point of view, but anyone with a social following that just gets tons of tons of nonsense. And But for all the crap people get, there's a lot of great, a lot of great comments, and you look at the chat just now with all the people in there and stuff as well. So, so yeah, I think it's just it just comes to the territory for these folks. Um, and but what we had was people like Lou Elizondo just got off social media pretty much. And I, like yeah. I say to folks, you maybe don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know, good point. Oh, yeah. I think it's a when great you're point, driving Andy. these people off, it's 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 yeah. it's not like that doesn't help. To be completely, that's just my opinion. Sorry, Chrissy. No, it's okay. I'm like, I also think that Dr. Travis Taylor, sometimes you do have to be mindful. Their recent comments, I believe, you know, he didn't know that it was being filmed, first of all. Some, but you have to be mindful that when you're a public person and you're speaking at a public event, that somebody's going to film it on social media. Saying that uh, Skinwalker killed Bigelow's, you know, Robert Bigelow's wife is a, is a very dark comment and also very, very drastic comment to make. And as a scientist, that's not a very scientific claim. So I would just be mindful in things that I think he's wonderful. I think he's a great human being. I think he's trying his best. I think he's doing the work he is. But I think sometimes we all have to be mindful, myself, everyone included, that when you put something on social media or when you say something in a public conference, that you should be prepared to see that on a billboard. And you should be prepared to then... Right. And it, it just, it is what it is. And I think that he just has to be mindful because when you're running around telling people that Skinwalker Ranch has killed somebody, it's a pretty bold claim, especially coming from a scientist. You nailed it though, Chrissy. And, and you've got the gent next to you, Ryan, who wrote a book about the, the human aspect of the UFO phenomenon. These people are still human beings. They are still mm-hmm. not infallible. They make mistakes. And they, when the cameras go off or when they put their phone down, they're, they're not sitting in an office watching UFO videos, you know. They're walking around shops with their kids. They're, yeah. they're going to day jobs. They are going to a cinema. They're just trying to relax next to their, their partner on a couch watching a film. And you know what? Sometimes they get pissed off. And that's not always an excuse. But I, I would be the same. But 
I think sometimes people just have to be like, do you know what? They have a life outside of this. You know, it's not, yeah. they're not sitting with a phone in front of them all day going, what's the next comment I'm going to reply to? Because like I've said to right. people, people message me and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you replied. And it's like, mate, I'm, I'm in Tesco shopping, pushing a trolley. Don't worry. It's like, I'm just texting <laughs> you back. It's fine. If, I, I, if I'm always happy to like, you know. Can I, um, can I admit something on air? I'm going to go do it on the this. toilet, don't you? I, I have responded <laughs> to some of you on the toilet and I know. The three of you have as well. Don't deny it. Don't deny it. I know a lot of you in the chat. <laughs> Come on. Most of you probably check. read these UFO stories of 2022 while on the toilet. Let's let's just be real. On your Kindle. Um, <laughs> exactly. Excuse me. I make a point. Um, I, wanna, I make a point of going yeah, to the yeah, toilet yeah, of to read your text. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that not surprise me? Ugh. It's the perfect place. <laughs> My book is good reading material in there too. Um, thank you, Kay Kara, for the super chat. Uh, thank you to all guests for your incredible work in this field. Thank you. Uh, and Paranormal Pixie, Laura, one of our biggest supporters, as always, for all of us here tonight. Thank you for all the hard work and dedication. Thank you. Thank you to you guys. Again, all your super chats are going to a wonderful organization tonight, the Women's Refugee Commission. So thank you. Um, all right, guys. Travis Taylor, boom. Let's move on to a journalist who I think doesn't get enough credit and had one of the coolest stories of the year. Um, we all know about the Nimitz. We know about the Tic Tac event. But there were other nuclear uh, supercarriers that had similar UFO events um, as well. So this story came out from Dave Beatty over at the debrief on July 6th. The USS Ronald Reagan UAP sightings. In 2004, sailors aboard the US Ronald Reagan, USS Ronald Reagan encountered mysterious orb-shaped flying objects off the eastern coast of the US. This was not the same Tic Tac object made famous. According to witnesses who were on the Ronald Reagan, a roughly 20 to 40 foot wide luminous round object suddenly showed up and began to hover over the ship's flight deck. Sailors who witnessed this said that their naval commander seemed disinterested that a large glowing orb was reported flying over the ship and continued normal operations without ordering any defensive actions be taken. Patrick Goki is a Navy vet, and he was on lookout that night, and he observed the UFO on two occasions and spoke to Dave Beatty about this. Uh, I'm going to play a brief clip from that so we kind of get some context for this and then get your guys' thoughts on the other side of just all these other events that have happened with the Navy. It's crazy how many there actually are. So let me go ahead and play that really quick for you guys. Okay, well, um, if you could just give me a play-by-play, maybe in in your best recollection of what actually happened during this watch, and I'll just let you tell that story. Absolutely. Um, so the first thing I remember was standing on starboard forward watch. Um, that's basically we're looking out for any boats or planes, anything that we can tell the, uh, the rest of the crew about that we got to look out for. Um, so it was very important to call out everything that we see. Um, even if you think it doesn't make a difference, it's, it's just something to float in the water. You still call it out because you don't know what it is. Um, so first I was kind of, it almost felt like the sun was rising a little bit. I just saw this orange, bright orange ball. It, it, it was wavy, but somehow still solid, like a plasma almost. And it just appeared over the flight deck, um, maybe 200 feet off the flight deck. Um, it sat there for about 30 seconds. I remember calling it in. I didn't, I don't know what my exact wording was. Um, it, everybody on the bridge would have been able to see, would have been able to see it. 
Um, but it was this floating orange ball and it sat there for 30 seconds. Um, it didn't seem to move, but it all, we were moving during flight ups. Um, and it seemed to stay with us, but without any movement that you could discern. Um, after that, it just did three half circles, just one, two, three, and it was gone. I mean, just in the blink of an eye, um, it was gone. And so that was pretty weird and, you know, reported it. Other people had reported it. Uh, maybe half hour, an hour later, I rotated watch stations and I was on the fantail by myself. Um, and the same thing, it came back by us on the fantail and it hovered, you know, maybe 100 or 200 feet in the air in the same, you know, maybe the same distance behind it. Did three half circles and it took off. Um, and those, that was the two times that I saw it. So that ain't no bokeh. I'm sorry. That ain't no pizza slice in the sky. Um, green pizza slice, like that thing was there and, um, it's crazy. And, you know, BD's been working on this story for a long time. He's tracked down so many other witnesses from the ships. Uh, so I know he's still working on this. He's got another witness. He told me earlier today coming forward within the next couple of weeks with more, giving us more context, to all of this. So, um, yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. Do you guys have anything you want to add to this story? I think it really went under the radar. Uh, no pun intended. I think yeah. the best thing for me was that Dave initially came out with a story with his witness, but he instantly did what Dave does really well and puts out those recreation videos based on the witness right. testimony. That suddenly adds a lot of visual interpretation and credibility to what you, you're reading from the witness testimony. And there was, you know, three witnesses and you hear about this gaseous ball of light with fuzzy edges hovering a hundred feet off, off the deck. You've got, three sailors looking at it from multiple vantage points but then there's that one bit of testimony where it does those half circles before shooting off which we just saw in the recreation i mean that changes everything it, it can't then just be explained away as something you know that's prosaic maybe let's say so that really yeah. stood out to me i think it was great that dave did all that and he he did it all in a really short amount of time it's obvious that he'd been working on this for some time before he announced it and i like the way that cases are put out with multiple data points and, and testimony in, in one go for us all to absorb. So kudos to Dave. Absolutely. Uh, Neurostream, thank you for the super sticker. Once again, going to the Women's Refugee Commission. Really appreciate it. Uh, Chrissy, Andy, any thoughts on this story? Yeah, I like the idea. Like, I think it was one of the other witnesses. I have his name here. It's uh, uh, Carl Osaka. I don't think he's saying his name right. I'm I'm totally butchering that last name pronunciation. But he referenced it as like a burning bush, like from a biblical reference when he said that, uh, which I thought was really interesting too. And then, yeah, and said that nobody like gave a crap. Like a quote here I wrote down was, um, they said, I'm pretty sure it was there. And, and they say, and they were like, I don't know what that is. I don't care. You know what I mean? And like, they have an attitude. Like I'm going to like, it says, Oh, sorry. Uh, go to my rack. I don't care. I don't even, uh, it doesn't even bother me about this shit. Like that's what their head Sorry, I killed that long too. It's being sick today. Um, you know, long story short in the end of it, no one cared. Their commanders and their higher superiors did not care. And they were watching it in front of them and were just like, no, it's not of interest to us. And I think that's really interesting. I think that's a really big point to the story that no one really wanted to report it. Nobody really had a, a thought of it and just kind of let it happen. And to me, that's interesting. I had a couple questions in my mind were brought up or like, why? And I guess part of it is we just don't want to deal with it. Uh, have you mm -hmm. seen this before? 
you know, is this just something normal to you? Because that's kind of what people would do when it's just a regular, it's, you know, it's something that's happening all the time. So there's yeah. a few things that I thought of, but I thought it was interesting, yeah, that they just didn't care. And they're probably like, we just don't want to deal with this. Let's be honest. The other part, too, right. is uh, Patrick Gookie, the last person you said, um, one is somebody said to him, too, and this is quoted in the article from Dave Beatty, where it says, we're in the Bermuda Triangle. And I thought that was really interesting. And one of those lines that's pulled from the article when I read it. I didn't even today, catch that. Again, Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's in like, I think wow. it's in the middle of it. Uh, but well done, Dave. Like the reporting is, is fabulous. And thank you, you know, on behalf of the debrief for doing that. But there's some really, really interesting points in there. And I, yeah, the four witnesses, but those two first witnesses uh, in the article you can read uh, are pretty interesting and pretty compelling. Yeah. Yeah. More witnesses to yeah. come. Andy, anything always. to add, brother? Yeah. <clears throat> I always try and look at different viewpoints from, from all of these cases. So one is it's something non-human which would be wow okay but we we never get the data from it do we to, to show that conclusively one way or another what we get is some incredible testimony and then that's up to you the individual like me Chrissy, Vinny, Ryan anyone else out there to look and go how much weight do you put behind the testimony to say you know they saw this that's the story it's incredible we've all got our own sightings and, and I know what I saw back in back in the day and stuff so you know you can't convince anyone of that I think one thing I do think though is and Ryan you mentioned the UAP report that came out with the blacked out section the redacted section of the shapes I reckon that's redacted because a lot of those shapes are probably the shapes of adversarial drones like you say not all of them though I think you've got shapes in there of craft that they know aren't China, Russia, you know, and other. And that's probably the mix. And I think we're probably at a really delicate technological place where they probably struggle sometimes. And this is purely from a place of guessing and not being informed, right? I'm just going to speculate as a fan of the subject now. They're probably in a really delicate technological place where what is an actual UAP and, mm-hmm. and what is just some really cool tech that China has or maybe Russia or, you know, the U.S., because they've no doubt got some incredible stuff. And do they even go as far that if they're being buzzed by true anomalous objects that are from a non-human intelligence, do they try and recreate that in their own drone technology to then mess about with? Because if I'm the US and we've got these things buzzing us, but we know what ha- is happening to China too, then do you know what? I'll create some kind of projection that goes around a drone that we've got. This is really cool, not your typical commercial drone. You know, you're talking technology 30 years ahead of what we've got now. And we fly out over a Navy. um, Thanks, Chris. We fly out over a Navy carrier group and we recreate what would happen when we get buzzed by actual UFOs. And these balls of light and fast movements, fast paced is fast paced out at sea, you know, and, the testimony is one thing, and maybe the data is incredible, but I reckon they can use that kind of full, fooling each other and play on their mind of, we're going to buzz your Navy fleet, and what are you going to do about it? Because we hear about, I've learned doing the podcast about like dark mode and going dark, and you don't want to give away any data. You want to just go dark, shut down, and you collect data back on what's observing you. And then they have to decide, is this truly anomalous? Or is this China or Russia spying on us with technology that we know we've actually got to spy on them too? And yeah. that that always interests me. And again, it's still fascinating. And people shouldn't be downhearted to think, oh, a lot of these events are probably human drones. 
where where did we get that tech from? Where's the leap in technology came from? You know, and also what are we mimicking and recreating that we don't know what to do when we come into kind of encounter it as well. So um, I get when we hear about this report, someone asked in the chat earlier on, when will the report come out? I'll guess Friday the 13th of January. Sounds like a good date, right? When that comes out, it's going to have 366 cases probably in it, we've heard. I reckon even if half of those are solved, there'll be some really cool tech within that to look at and dissect, Mm -hmm. and we won't even get to see the data for it. But then it's the other half that aren't, that you're like, ah, that's the UFO stuff that we really like. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to find really interesting in the fact that a lot of this stuff is human tech that we can't identify while even still having the UFO stuff to go after as well. I, I was just going to say quickly, one thing you can throw out there quickly is that the, the orange plasma type orbs are are really regularly associated with Earth lights, and they have been for, for decades now. And this is still a phenomenon that we know very little about scientifically. Um, are they known to appear over the ocean? Well, no. But the thing is that they're not, they're not much is known about them above Earth either, above the ground. So, you know, you can throw in other alternatives that don't necessarily point towards non-human intelligence or adversarial technology. It could be something else as well. I don't know how deep the ocean was. What's the geographical makeup and metallically of the ground underneath the ocean? So I, I still like to kind of consider those kind of things. And that's only because that's the kind of thing I've studied in the last few, well, the last year, let's say. So it begs a lot of questions. And I'm very, I've learned to become very open to asking the kind of prosaic questions way before going to that final thing. But yeah, who knows? Good little tease for a project you got coming up there, man. Phenomenology <laughs> season two, guys. Be on the lookout very soon. Um, Christy, did you want to add anything to that before we yeah. move to the next? I think it just in that case, you know, they were working 16 hours. And so they were told not to report anything unless it was life threatening. Uh, and then they would go, yeah, then they would go by priority. Right. So I think that's interesting that that wasn't maybe even considered life threatening or a priority. But and to me, I would think that would be, but to mm-hmm. Andy's point, I really do agree when we look at tech and we, it's going to be very interesting report out and there is tech that's going to be spoken about and what that tech looks like. And obviously in the New York times piece, I forget Julian's last name. Uh, the writer kind of alluded to that mainly saying it was Chinese and, and that, you know, and kind of just subtly drop that, which I think is very, very interesting. But at the end of the article, he says, well, you know, but there's still obviously some that are anomalous. And I think that's what we all care about. And I really do. I think next year is going to be very interesting to learn what we learn about foreign adversary tech. Uh, not saying I'm excited about that, <laughs> but I'm curious to see what they're going to say, because obviously nobody wants to be excited for foreign av- adversary tech being better than any North American tech. Yay. But, yeah, yay. <laughs> I'm like so but You're i am screwed. totally and i am but i am i'm not gonna say excited but i'm very curious and i would like to know what that tech is that's for sure but we'll yeah. see what we get and i think andy's right we're not going to get a breakdown of that but at some yeah. point we can push for that too right see so, just on on chrissy's point about why they wouldn't find it life-threatening do you wonder potentially that the higher ranking officials that go out and in, are in charge of nuclear carrier fleets going across the ocean know in advance because they're either briefed or from experience, exactly. you may come across this because you are carrying this amount of nuclear material in the form of fuel or weaponry. And it's happened before. If you come across X, Y, or Z, just ignore it and keep going. 
And yeah. that's well, why right. we know when it happens, you know, do you know what? Yep, move on. Exactly. And that's why I was wondering so many questions were, that's one of them was like, do you know something? Like, do you know what this is? Because you're obviously acting like it doesn't matter. So yeah. for sure, that could, that does make sense. That does align. Good point. Yeah. And, you know, the culture has to change, you know, Andre Carson yeah. said that. Um, mm-hmm. So that could be it too. Like, finally, they're like, ah, oh, God, we have to, like, we know now they can get in trouble if they don't report things, which is awesome. Yeah. Like I think again, and that's, that's that, right. Hundred percent. I should have said that. Th- this is the point of we need the reports. What we need is when these reports come out, not for people to mm. go. Oh, there's three hundred reports, and half of them are human tech. What we need is actually there's eight thousand, there's ten thousand reports, and seven thousand of them are drones, balloons, Batman balloons, or seagulls. That's fine. So here's the three thousand, or even the twenty that are genuinely, truly anomalous. We don't know what the hell these are. This is what we fund. This is what we study. This is what we've got footage of. This is the stuff that we know isn't them and we know it's not us. That's the really interesting stuff. And then Julian Barnes can have his New York Times article and talk about Mm -hmm. 8,467 airborne trash incidents. But then at the end, you'll still have to say, yeah, but there was five that they probably think's alien. So, you know. I agree with you. And let me put this up on the... On, on here quick. I want to get this in. This is great. 2023 may very well be the year. Sorry, Andy, covering your face there, buddy. Um, the year we learn about a wide range of human-made electric propulsion technologies coming from the science, the head science writer at the debrief, Christopher Plain. I'm excited. One man. of the best. What else did we yeah. have here? He's putting all these words that I have no idea what they mean. Hoisin drives, EM drives, Hoyt. Poison, uh, MHD propulsion, horizon drives, he meant. Okay, so I did, I did misread it, or he misspelled it. There we go. Um, this is another big one I didn't even think of. Red Panda Koala says, I forgot about pedestrian joining Biden administration. That might turn up some stuff, too. I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I forgot that that had happened. Um, and no, guys, we will not be talking about the Barnes article tonight. Uh, I am not promoting that thing to save my life. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, uh, oh, there he is. Okay. Um, we're moving on to our next story and I'm glad he came back at the very right moment. And I'm glad we still have Andy here as our resident, um, uh, not resident, but our, how would you say it? Um, born, born and raised Scottish person. We have <laughs> native <Calvin laughs> UFO. There we go. Native. I couldn't think of the damn word. I'm like resident. That's me. <laughs> um, we have the reveal of the Calvine UFO photo, probably one of the biggest stories of the year. When I put out a tweet about, guys, tell me what your what stories really kind of broke UFO Twitter and went mainstream. This was one of them. And this was, uh, you know, in tandem with a few other groups. But I'm going to go on the record and say primarily broken by UAP Media UK and um by the gentleman you see down there, Dr. David Clark and Mr. Vinny Adams. So <laughs> let's let's get into it. I have Vinny some of the audio of uh, the gentleman who brought this this uh, this photo forward that I'm going to play in just a second here. But paint the picture for us, man. How this all went down? A photo that we thought we'd never see the light of day. Thirty something years later, it's finally here. The debates have debates have waged on about what it is, but one of the <laughs> of a UFO possibly ever taken. So tell us about this story, man. How did this come to be? And uh, yeah, lay the groundwork for us, if you don't mind. 
Yeah, I think what's really important is let's forget about what people think of the actual photograph itself. It's how it came to be into the in the public domain. And, you know, I've got to give all the credit to Dr. David Clark. He is an absolute legend. He is one of the best investigative journalists I've ever come across. Um, and I've come across a lot. But this is a, a case that he's been interested in since, uh, well, for about 15 years now. When he first uncovered the uh, Condine report, he was the, the guy responsible for bringing that to the public domain. And the Calvin um, incident was mentioned very briefly in the Condine report. So for him, it sparked um, an interest that never really uh, feigned or wavered. And, you know, he spent many years trying to track down people involved. And last year, he just got a, a good break where he found the former RAF press officer that we see in the image there, Craig Lindsay, who was a very tough nut to crack. He was uh, didn't want to be that forthcoming with the information, but eventually David uh, gained his trust. And initially, uh, David was sent a photocopy of the image that you see on screen there. Um, we thought that that was all we were going to get. We thought that's all that Craig had. Um, but for many months after that, conversations were had with Craig, and it turned out that he had the original copy printed off from the Scottish Daily Record, where the images and the negatives were first sent to. Um, and again, even after that, David visited Scotland, viewed the image, was not allowed within a, a good 10 feet of the image. He was allowed to photograph it from a distance. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there, there was so much of that going on for months and months and months. It was really sensitive. Craig, you know, he's mid-80s. He doesn't want any any come back on him from the public domain, from the media, but also from the Ministry of Defence and, and the RAF, you know. So it was a very yeah. sensitive case for many, many months. You know, I met David on many occasions. I'm lucky that David lives a mile down the road, so we meet in the local pub down here and spend hours just saying, how do we move forward with this and that? And every step of the way through this, is it's kind of what we did with the incredible help of uh, two incredible researchers Giles Stevens and Matthew Ilsley. Um, so, yeah, the four of us kind of managed to get to the point where Craig agreed to hand the photograph over to David only on the condition that it be donated to the archives of Sheffield Hallam University, where David is a associate professor, and that's where it now resides. And, you know, I could talk about this for hours, but I guess that's the gist yeah. of it. You know, it, it was awesome. a, a, it, it just shows citizen research and citizen dedication to the ufo subject can be done and it can bring results yep and look at what happens like you guys break the story and then major news outlets pick it up after you and we're seeing yeah, yeah. that a lot in the ufo world citizen journalism is bringing forward some of the biggest stories and then the mainstream picks it up and just copy and pastes which is where we're at, and for unfortunately, with journalism uh, yeah. in the mainstream, a lot it's lazy. They don't put the legwork in, and it is there, there's exceptions. You got people like Gotti Schwartz and, and 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 individuals like Leslie Kane and stuff like that, Ruth Blumenthal, who do the work. But again, like the reason that other mainstream media picked up on this story and YouTubers, I, I typed in Calvine UFO photo released on YouTube. Oh my God, like. YouTubers were having a field day with this story yeah. in a good way, in a, in a very good way. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I've got some of the audio of Craig 
Lindsay, talking about the event. I think, you know, let's paint a picture a little of what the Calvine UFO incident actually was uh, and what we're seeing in the photo. So I'm going to go ahead and play that clip really quick, get your thoughts on the other side, guys, and then we'll move on quickly um, to our next story. They were parked, uh, what do you call it, holiday workers at the Athol Palace, mainly washing dishes uh, and for pocket money. And that, as far as their trip out that night was, uh, they parked the car, they went, what, he couldn't, I, I can't remember now whether he said it was a long distance, I don't think it was terribly far, but the bits that I do remember was they went through a wood, came to the edge of it, climbed the barbed wire, over the barbed wire fence, started to walk over uh, moorland, and then realised there was something in the air above them, or near to them. And they thought, shit, this is... <laughs> I don't like the look of this. Turned on their heel, ran back, tumbled over the fence, and hid in bushes or behind trees or something in the wood and sat and looked at this thing which just simply sat in the sky and um, I asked do you know how big it was no idea how big it was we didn't know whether it was close to us how far away it was or anything but what was it after he reckoned two three minutes didn't time it uh, they heard the sound of a jet aircraft which went by going north and a minute or two later, they heard the jet again, and it came back, and it circled, get this right, anti-clockwise, three, maybe four times, and then headed off back on its original course. Which suggests the pilot must have seen the same thing they, so, they, so. they He must have seen something, mm -hmm. uh, and they waited another minute or two, wondering what the hell to do. And at that point, they, at some point in this thing, they sort of stuck the camera out behind wherever it was they were hiding, shot off, it turned out to be six frames, and um, the thing started to move uh, upwards slowly and then just shot vertically upwards and disappeared you know, way, way up in the sky. And the bit that I very clearly remember was, and I said, well, what sort of noise did it make? And he said, it didn't make any noise. I said, what do you mean it didn't make any? It was silent. It, no noise, no noise at all. Nothing. And that was the end of the conversation. So I sat down, I typed out the basics of it, put it in the fax machine, sent it to London. I love this case. I love it so much. Um, I suppose man. one thing I can I can give you a kind of a little mini exclusive is that we didn't rest on our laurels when the photo was released. We've we've been at this case nonstop ever since, trying to track down either the the two fo you know, the witnesses, the pilots, uh, anyone involved, and it's we've worked our butts off to the point where we think we know who the witnesses were. We've spoken to people who worked with them at the time, who saw the aftermath of what happened. We've spoken to defense intelligence agents off the record, who obviously can't come forward for obvious reasons, who knew a lot about this. And so we are kind of still really deep in the process of giving uh, an update on the story, which we're hoping to do in early 2023. But it has literally been the work that, it came, that went into putting the photo out has continued right up until 
today with the amount of work that we're doing. And I just wanted people to know that we're not sitting back and saying, well, here's the photo. That's it. Job done. It's not the case. Wow. Dude, that's huge. If we could hear from the witnesses, I mean, holy hell, the puzzle continues to be put together on one of yeah. the most intriguing cases out of Scotland, out of the entire UK, in my opinion. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jashaw, thank you so much, buddy, for a forty dollars super chat. Kicking it for the show, just for Chrissy's hat. I love that. Thanks, hey. Thank you, Jazz. Happy holidays, buddy. Um, uh, let's get your thoughts, guys. Um, Andy, what do you think, man? What do you think of the Calvin case? And, um, you know, I know a lot of people say what you will about Nick Pope, but he's been pretty vocal on this, kind of um, took credit when this story came out and tried to remind the world of his involvement with this. But um, he never produced that photo. I'll, I'll tell you that much. But... Uh, Sending love to you, Nick, if you're watching this. Um, wow, what a weird diatribe. Andy, what do you think of Calvine? <laughs> that was kind of what I was, <laughs> was wanted to see growing up, um, the actual photo. And it was nice to see the photograph. I think it's as good as quality as we're going to get. It was a little bit in a way, oh, like revealing the kind of magicians, how they do their trick, where you want to know. But then when you see it, it's not disappointing is the wrong word but you know now you've seen it it's like ah a little bit of mystery dies and that little bit of a kind of childlike wonder goes doesn't it um but it's like anything black triangle photos coming out the water hd tic tacs all that kind of stuff it's almost better sometimes in your mind but like chris plain said and you put up his comment there the resemblance of the actual photograph is exactly what we saw in the recreations and i think it's great to finally have that out and i think what disappointed me with nick pope was how much he stuck to, well, I can't confirm this is the real photo. And it, eh, well, it's, the, it's the same thing you've been peddling for years um, and talking about. So, you know, um, but hey-ho, I think Nick Pope does what he does really well. Um, 
maybe not necessarily what people think he has done, but you know what what he has done, and he has brought a lot of eyes and ears to the UFO subject and moved out to, mm-hmm. to the US and stuff and carried that on as well. So fair play to Nick, and I'm glad he makes a living out of it as well because he is a nice guy. I've met him um, year about nine years ago. Um, but yeah, Vinny and David and, and the gents he talked about done a lot of hard work with that. Um, for me, are, are the hikers still alive, Vinny? That's part of the ongoing stuff we can't announce just yet. Okay, so this this was 30 years ago, and if they're hikers, they're likely not going to be young, more than likely going to be older. So you probably are talking... I'm sorry, Andy. I'm so sorry to interrupt, man. Um, Were they hikers or were they kitchen staff? I'm confused. They were were young, young kitchen staff. Oh, so were they I, hikers? Read hikers too. <laughs> I read hikers. Like I've heard hikers, I've heard kitchen staff. Were they I'll, all, I'll, cl- yeah. I'll clear that up. They were they were late teens. They were holiday staff. So these are people that go and work in these resorts. Okay. Let's say uh, during the summer, make a bit of extra pocket money. One of them okay. was supposedly from England, so they were probably like eighteen, nineteen. But what was known in those days is in in the area they are in Scotland, there's nothing to do. So when they finish their shift at 9 p.m., it's quite common for them to go up into the surrounding areas of the Scottish Highlands for for a walk at night, you know, in a beautiful location. They don't get much downtime. That was the norm for them. No, I thought that they were young because it says that their names wouldn't be released in 2079 or something. So right off the hop, I was like, they're young. Because they're probably so they going to be passed teens, away yeah. by that time, right? They would be old, very yeah. old or, or gone. So then it's, for them, it's not a big deal because they were trying to protect their privacy. So right there, it kind of alludes to young. But yeah. Did it not get reclassified anyway, it, yeah. Vinny? It got reclassified with some of that other stuff that got bumped, but it was meant to be declassified, but didn't. So I didn't look into too much into the dates or the years because there was stuff meant to come out from the UK's UFO files that wasn't released when it was meant to and they just stuck another stamp on it i would probably guess if there was any u.s involvement that's because our big brother the united states told the uk government nope you can't release that so you can stick another 50 years classification on it and that's why that happens so for me the calvin stuff i've always had the impression that there's u.s involvement probably u.s technology for some reason it was what it was i don't know and this is why it's kept as secretive as it is, because one, the UK is better than the US at keeping secrets, and two, the US tell them to make sure it's all kept a secret. So yeah, that that's my personal take is it's not non-human intelligence technology, but it's certainly something that we've copied. I'd say you've pretty much kind of nailed what we've heard. You know, I mentioned we'd spoken to a member of Defence Intelligence, DI-55, who was involved in the case. And it got to the point in 1992, two years after the incident, where DI-55 had to travel to the US to have a meeting with in the Pentagon with the CIA, with the DIA, about about all this debacle that had thrown up about this craft in the UK. You know, US thought it might be UK. Some people in the UK, you know, it was all like, whose is it for, for a while before it was like, ah, we know what it is. Now they sort it out. And, and, you know, that's that's the line we've got. Can we prove that? No. But, um, you know, we've spoken to these defense intelligence sources for some time now, more than one. You know, where do we go from there? That's that's the kind of thing, you know. Are they just throwing us a, in a direction we they want us to go in? It's one of those, those you know, ever 
unquestioned mysteries that we, we may never get to the bottom of. But And to echo what Chris says, I know his boss, Tim McMillan, is less than supportive of the idea that it's secret US technology. Um, and I get all the arguments for that. But I yeah. think in this subject, for whatever reason, was it in trouble? Was it was it over higher up and had to come down? Who knows? But yeah. yeah. So I, I get, and Tim McMillan's someone I would put a lot of faith into what he says, sure. his, his opinion. Yep. But I, just for whatever reason, don't think it's non-human. I think it is almost definitely US tech, or is it some other country's tech? You know, Sweden, Jamaica, I don't know. We always mention China, <laughs> Russia, don't we? Yeah, we always mention oh, China man. and Russia. Maybe it was Scottish technology. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, no, but it could maybe. be. Maybe it was it uh, Northumberland. I don't know. <laughs> it could be another one of these cases where we get so far it hit a brick wall and then we can just debate and debate for decades and decades and we never know the answer. Forever. It could just but you know, this is why we're hoping to continue the work we're doing to try and get past that brick wall because we've hit it a few times and we've stepped past it a few times. Maybe we'll get some answers. But you know, everyone asks me on a on a daily basis in my DMs, are we getting any updates on Calvin? And when we do, we'll release them. Awesome, man. Awesome. I love it. Let's rewind back to July. Uh, Calvine's story broke in August. Uh, we have in July of 2022, DOD announces the establishment of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Finally, we got an acronym that we can pronounce. We have a name we can pronounce. And we have a kind of full staff doing this thing. We've got Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, uh, who is most recently the chief scientist at the Defense Intelligence Agency's Missile and Space Intelligence Center. Uh, he's going to be the director. Pretty cool. Um, I'm not going to go through what Arrow is. Uh, guys, go to the official, I think it's the DOD website. They've got the press release for it. You can learn about what they're going to be doing. They're going to be looking at UFOs in many different ways, and they're going to see if they're a threat. Um, they're going to try to resolve as many cases as they can. They're going to look at transmedium objects. Uh, and there's some news that just broke about new language that's being put uh, towards this organization, which is pretty cool. But what I want to do, because Andy, brother, I know you have to get going in a little bit. Um, I'm going to play two quick videos of one of my personal heroes, politics aside, Senator Gillibrand. Um, the first one comes from, I want to get this right, uh, Osvaldo Franco, who is a UFO researcher out there. You probably know him from UFO Twitter. And he had the opportunity to go to a town, excuse me, a town hall that Gillibrand was speaking at in New York City and got some some time with her, which is something no a lot of even mainstream reporters weren't able to do. Get her, get her talking about uh, uh, her work and what's to come. So let me play that quick for you. Senator Gillibrand, yes. I want to thank you on behalf of so many of my friends and colleagues for your UAP reform support. Yes. When I have some questions, when can we expect a public hearing regarding uh, UFOs and UAPs, specifically with these these reforms you place? I'm supposed to get a report in the next, I think, month or two. Yes, Um, ma'am. They briefed our staff, but it wasn't very, it wasn't very significant. Not a lot of information. They're building the office right now, and they understand what the mission is. So I met the guy who's in charge of the office. He understands he's supposed to work in the private sector, and all the people have all the data and information. He's also um, asked to go back and look at all of the archival data. He's not been able to get access to it. As you can imagine, it's probably siloed and all sorts of Yes, ma'am, it is. And so he's job is to try to get access to all of it. And, um, and if he can't, 
historic stuff, get within the private sector, get the private sector data, like FAA data, correlate it, investigate all the other things that are current, and just create a state-of-the-art office. And he's committed. And they're taking it seriously. Like, they're not going to hide it. Because there's so many of us now on the Intel Committee and Armed Services that we're going to stand by the service members who document this stuff. They yeah. have video. They have materials. They have it. So I'm not going to let it go. I'm 100% committed. And if you have information you want to Yes, I do. Very much so. Yes, ma'am. Kudos to Osvaldo. So polite. Um, said exactly, mm-hmm. asked exactly what he should have in that. T- you could see the guide, like her aide in the back, being like, "We gotta go. Stop talking to this UFO mm-hmm. nut." Um, but I thought he did an amazing, amazing job. We're all UFO nuts, Osvaldo. I don't mean that as a bad thing. And um, man, yeah, she's pissed. Like she knows how much ob- obfuscation can't say that word had too much wine um is happening with all of this and she's pressuring these people especially the new inspector general i think it was right at um the mm-hmm. what was it uh uh storch robert storch during um his nomination uh she like i've got the video i'm not gonna play it um for anyone interested check it out she gives she she really um she owns him in that thing yeah says like Yo, you need to do this and do it before you actually uh, get voted in. And he was—he's just like, okay, ma'am. Yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, so yeah, what do you guys think? Arrow, finally. But what are we gonna get from it? Anything, Chrissy? Let's start with you. Well, first, I'd like to say kudos to her for—you know—you can see the excitement and you can see the passion, and that's what we need. And I think that that's really lovely. I was laughing with the Mike Jackson movie music in the background too. It's great. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> and also like such—I love those like off the cuff uh, like little quotes and nuggets too that we get from other people, not just mainstream media, because it makes it so real and, and authentic and genuine. So I kudos to her, and also kudos to just the passion because I love it, and I obviously like to see more women. It's just nice to have a woman having a voice. It's wonderful, especially in that position of power. Uh, outside of it, yeah, I'm excited for Arrow. I'm really excited. We'll see what happens. We'll see what we get. You know, next year, I think will be hopefully probably a big year. And yeah, that's it. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of waiting like everybody else is and curious of what's going to come out. Absolutely. Andy, what do you think, man? Arrow, finally. It's here. What are we going to, anything going to happen? What do you think of it? I hope it sticks around because consistency is probably a good thing for this topic and one easy way to to keep messing things up is to keep changing the pieces on the board, keep changing the positions, keep changing the names, keep changing the heads of these organisations as well. Um, We know during the first go-around when the UAP task force was announced, people like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Sean Cahill and others who were kind of figureheads on mainstream TV at the time were talking about how the six-month lead-up they had to write that report initially wasn't enough time and really it had to be two to three years. I think Chris Mellon said they were hamstrung um, and, you know, almost doing it with kind of two hands tied behind their back with a sore foot, you know, and, you know, trying to perform. Um, so it seems that it's constantly having something pushing them back and pushing them back, fighting against the tide. What we need is consistency. I would say, again, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, being coming into this in the middle of the year, even with the run he would have had to the end of the year, was still a sixth of the time necessary to put together what people in the know 
would claim to be a comprehensive and worthwhile report. So again, we were always going to have that baby steps or preliminary report. And and to what extent people found that satisfactory would be, you know, the eye of the beholder, I think, essentially, is it. Um, so for me, the delay speaks volumes. Um, we had a lot of people in the know who were telling us the report was on people's desks and the report's coming out and the report's been delayed just a little bit of time. And here we are over a month and a half later and it's still not out and probably won't be out till next year. So it's one of those things that will be out when it's out. It'll probably have the same impact as the last one did, where some people will go, oh, wow. Some people will be like, eh, and other people won't know what to think. So we'll come on to people like all of you, all of us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and ask for our thoughts and opinions and analysis as well. So when that happens, you know, that that will happen with everyone. So for me, it's it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint with all of this. Um, politics in the US can be volatile at the best of times. And we all thought coming out of COVID, the world was going to be a big, lovely place, blue sky, and everyone was going to be hugging each other and farting rainbows. And we went straight in from a pandemic into a war, didn't we, with uh, Ukraine and Russia, so an invasion, an occupation, whatever you want to call it. And we never saw that coming. And that's always going to take a lot of the budget and the pressure and the time and the, the eyes of the people involved in this kind of stuff. So um, for me, it's one of those of I just hope it sticks around long enough to actually do some work. And that's the second, the third, the fourth report, maybe even into 2024, 2025 as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I was thinking the same thing, Andy, today, just in context of name changes and everything else and just consistency. Because even just looking back at the year, I was like, gosh, how many acronyms can we have? Can we stop, please, or (laughs) slow it down so we can keep up? And let's be honest, maybe there's reasons why they do that, but you know, that was one thing. Yeah. I think it's a really solid point, really solid point. And having consistency is what we need for sure. And also yep. that creates trust and transparency, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's uh, hold on. I want to thank Logan Black and James Craig for the super chats, guys. Once again, going to the Women's Refugee Commission. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you Vinny. Thank you. Yeah. One thing that I think one thing that we need to be aware of or, or reminded of when it comes to the Arrow office is that. I think it was even after Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's uh, announcement as the head of the group was that we saw job openings cropping up. We saw them on Twitter. And then I don't think those positions were filled until late September with the work, maybe even starting as late as November. And then you're asking them to do all of this work to produce this report. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a friend, a source, well, I would call them a friend. It's someone who I've, known for quite some time now who worked very closely with Sean Kirkpatrick in the DIA missile and space intelligence center who actually had a conversation with Sean Kirkpatrick two weeks ago. And he basically, the gist of it was the pure scale of the project that they're working on is the reason for the delay. And that's it. There is no, uh, you know, ominous, you know, trying to hold, withhold data or anything. It's the pure scale. And if, if these important roles weren't filled until the start or to mid-November, then, of course, they're going to be behind. I think we need to right. look at it logically and realistically. Absolutely. And realistically, keyword for yep. real, man. Um, well, hey, listen, Andy, I know you got to get going, man. Um, you got a family. Uh, so, dude, thank you. Thank you for sticking around with us. Chrissy, we got your story that I want to cover before you go, if that's okay. Do you got a few more yeah, minutes? For sure. Yeah, 100%. Thank yeah. You. Okay. Um, but Andy, before we go, brother, 
before you go, I'm sorry. We got plenty more coming, guys. Um, let us know where we can find everything you're up to, my man. What, you're, uh, what you got coming down the, the pipeline. And yeah, yeah, if you don't mind, give it to us. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember. It's really late. It's been a long weekend. Um, so just type in that UFO podcast if anyone wants to check anything out. Um, so Shane Ryan has just been on the podcast and I've read him about Westall, 1966. That was really interesting, going back into an older case. Um, a lot of echoes of aerial school phenomenon, that kind of stuff, which you're going to cover later on. So a bit of a shout out for that one. Um, I've got David Polides coming up, whose new documentary, The Missing 411, The UFO Connection, is about to come out, I think, tomorrow it's released. Um, so he's going to come on and talk about that. Um, and I've got Paul Sinclair bringing some UK flavour to the podcast coming up, talking about his Truth Proof series, and Ted Rowe from NARCAP and the AIAA and other organisations like that is coming on the podcast soon too. So I'm trying to cram loads of stuff in over the next week or two. So there's loads of content still going out over Christmas and New Year, but I want a week off because I've put out in two and a half years over 300 shows and it maybe, thanks Andres, it maybe is now taking its toll. And I could do with a week off. That would be great. So yeah, that's my plan. Awesome, you deserve man. it. I know you Ooh, deserve I it. I know mm-hmm. a week off. Well I have deserved. no idea what that is, but I also don't have kids, so I totally understand, man. But yeah, you're doing amazing I, work. I will. I will hammer that point home. I still have a full time job. I still have three children, four children. My stepson, he's no bother, but he's nineteen. He does his own thing. Um, but three very young children. The job, the podcast, life in general. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm busy, but it's, it's fun. It's good to get to meet people like you, the people in the chat and I enjoy talking about UFOs. So it's great to be able to do this and for it to be as, as successful like all of you have been as well as it is. So thanks to anyone who bothers to, to check it out. Thanks, man. No, we enjoy every moment you give this field. So um, I got to thank you for coming on tonight, giving your insights. And uh, please give my best to the family and a very happy holiday season. Thanks. And just one more point, Ryan. You mentioned about copy and paste journalism in 2022 in modern day, and it's awful. Tomorrow night, I'm doing my own recap show of the year, covering all the points you have. And Chrissy, Vinny, and yourself will be on that with me, kicking off at (laughs) 9 p.m. in the I'll leave you somewhere in that UFO podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that that live show will happen one day in a theater in Scotland. Yeah, that'll happen one day. We talked about that, didn't we? Yep, and we'll probably sneak some WWF talk in there too, for sure. (laughs) Have a good evening. Good day, folks. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy. Bye. See you later, Andy. Happy holidays. Bye, Andy. Bye bye. Uh, (laughs) That was awesome. I loved having him. Chrissy, let's move on because you have meetings to get to over at the debrief and you're a busy, busy person. Let's, let's, let's talk about this story, uh, that you and Micah Hanks over at the debrief broke, uh, in tandem with Ben Hansen, a few other people. Uh, this was awesome. And this is, I think Chris Plain brought up something, um, a good point earlier that this is the year of aviation safety. And I could not agree more with him. Uh, we're seeing so many pilots, so many <laughs> getting involved in this reporting things or not reporting them. Um, 
But this is a story that you helped bring forward. Uh, let me get this right. October 19th, American pilots report multiple encounters with unusual, unusual racetrack UAP. Pilots and crews from more than 15 commercial aircraft say that they encountered UAP in American airspace, according to eyewitness testimony and videos. According to witnesses, the rash of incidents occurred over a seven-week period and involved sightings of bright, luminous aerial objects and airspace from the American Midwest to as far west as the Pacific. Uh, Chrissy Newton and Micah Helps helped break this story. So, Chrissy, tell us more, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Uh, sorry, I had to let my dog in before. Uh, so Mike and I broke this. We were talking to Bed Hansen and he was speaking about just the multiple pilot uh, experiences that were happening. And so at one point it was 17 and then it went up to 30. And so they had from audio from all different types of airlines, but mainly from one from American Airlines. And there were two pilots. Uh, Mark Halsey was one of them that I ended up interviewing uh, and talking about his experience. And so the experience for him while he was piloting it was a private jet well he was probably i believe it was towards um i think from uh, my gosh if you quote me in near los angeles uh but he's kind of he generally goes all over the world but mainly in north america when he's working with uh, uh as a private pilot so he had this experience where he was in the cockpit with another pilot and he ends up seeing something that he thinks is a uap uh it ends up Go, it's like one shooting star, he initially says, and then ends up connecting with a group of them. And it ends up looking that it was going in a circular line and not a line, but in a circular line. So for him, he didn't get any video footage of this, but he did report it then to the local air traffic control center where he's speaking about it and saying that I've had this experience and I've had multiple, I've seen now multiple UAPs. You know, it started as one, now it's gone to five and they're all like interconnected. So he reports that and then he then reports consistently, I think in the third, there's two or three times he goes back and says like, hey, it's me again. Uh, I've had this report. Later on, then we see that American Airlines pilots end up reporting very something very similar and they're having the same experience. So we're seeing that these reports are happening all the way from like, you know, Chicago to Japan. So they're happening all over the world from private to commercial airlines. Right. So here's the thing. That's that's what we end up hearing. And that's what we end up reporting, because that's what we're looking into as we then go forward. And now where we sit is that potentially a lot of these cases could be um, Starlink, right? They could be satellites. And so here's the thing. When they are star- when they are star like, and this is something that's extremely important to know, because like Chris Plain said, you know, airplane safety and pilot safety is is generally number one, especially being in the air, especially with commercial planes as well. You're carrying so many people, so you're getting into these safety conversations when pilots are not able to identify Starlink. Not all of them were considered Starlink. And, you know, Mick West will say to him, thanks to him, he did bring that up and they did analyze it and said that it did match Starlink being in the area. So that's fine. You know, at the debrief, we're here to report from, you know, academic, you know, well-sourced. And so we're happy to say if we know something that might be not UAP based, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do as a news outlet. So saying that then what the next question is, when Micah and I spoke and we were talking about this in a group chat was, well, then what about pilot safety? If they're not able to identify that 
Starlink. We have a major communication failure from, you know, Elon Musk and his team at Starlink, along with any other pilot in aviation community. They should be able to know what Starlink is. And so they should be able to identify it very, very quickly. Because if they're going to clog up traffic control centers and they're reporting things they don't know, we have more issues there. There's way more going work into it. And also it's, it's scary. So that's kind of where we left it now is that some of them are still anomalous and we don't know. They're still UAP. But then the other ones that we're looking at potentially could have been Starlink. So, you know, that that's what happens. But we're happy to be able to say both. And again, really important that we talk about pilot safety. And it's funny, which I thought was really interesting, is the time that we broke that story with um, Ben Hansen. We ended up then having Ryan Graves that same week was on Joe Rogan coming out, speaking about his organization and what he's doing. And that wasn't planned. None of us talked to each other. No one knew that that was going to happen. But, you know, in the ethos, it was there. And there's a, a big reason when you have somebody like Ryan Graves and then you're getting multiple pilots, you know, reporting this, we're having issues. So at first and foremost, I think needs to be identified and we need to do better communication, you know, strategies and be able to inform pilots of what's actually going on and what's in the skies and to me that's very scary <laughs> i would imagine it's for everybody right. else too especially if you're flying well, in a commercial airplane your pilot doesn't know what it's looking at exactly and you know one of yeah. the cases that you guys noted uh really shook me it was the one where um they had to make like a a quick maneuver like almost a negative g nosedive to outmaneuver yeah. something coming at them and like the uh, airline the flight attendants got injured one of them yeah. like, broke their arm or something, and the pilots had no idea what the object was. And there was like pandemonium in the cockpit, and people were terrified. And then yeah. they had to like report it and um, like talk about aviation safety. It's not even the UFO per se; it's what happens in the plane and how the pilots mm -hmm. react to these things that could be the potential danger um, well, caused, yeah. obviously, by the UFO. Right. And Mark Halsey has multiple, you know, different education certificates, you name it, from working in the uh, for military serving along with then, you know, being trained immensely. So for someone for his caliber that can't identify what's actually going on, you know, and is also, I believe, is a trained meteorologist, you know, has is not being able to identify. That's scary because who knows how I don't know about the average commercial pilot, you know, what they eat and when it comes to multiple degrees and everything else. They obviously have to be trained but what else are they taught I, I don't know but you know mark Halsey was very credible and that's why we went forward and gaddy schwartz from nbc today ended up picking it up and speaking about it too but the thing is that no matter what we're able to prove them which is really lovely it's that small percentage still that's still there that's uap base and again bringing back to attention that pilot safety is extremely important and for everyone's sake yeah Absolutely. Vinny, do you want to add anything to this story, Mamian? Absolutely. I think the one thing that really stood out to me was that initially this seemed to be sightings from pilots flying between Hawaii and the west coast of the US. But within a matter of a month or to six weeks, it, we realized that it stretched right out into the Midwest and there were more and more pilots as the story kept growing. And I have to give a shout out to Ben Hansen for the great work, Chrissy and, and the team, but also to Brittany Barbieri, who uh, supported mm -hmm. Ben on the work and she continues to do so. Right. But as that story was evolving, you know, I'd been speaking to a pilot for many months and that story was the, the reason why he came out and broke his story on my show because of this story that Chrissy and these guys broke, you know, so we can see a knock on effect here of the importance of air safety 
pilot testimony, stigma, all those kind of things that have been, um, you know, shrouding the kind of the pilot world, let's say, for many years. It all started breaking down because of this story coming out. And that's only going to get better. You know, I was contacted today by a, a major newspaper who wanted to break, not break the story, but cover the story of, of the pilot that I discussed. And it all stems back to the, the racetrack case. So, you know, I have to thank everybody that came before my story. But it, look at the knock-on effect. If this story then comes out in the next few days in the, in the newspaper here in the UK, how many more pilots are going to come forward? You know, it's, it, it, it's exactly. only a good thing. It, it's amazing. So I give a shout to Chrissy, to, to, to uh, Ben, ben and, and Brittany, uh, yeah. everyone, everyone. It, yeah. it's, ben and Brittany it's, did it's, that amazing research. Yeah. It's pushing the subject forward and that's all we ever ask for. Exactly. Yeah. The other part too, is that they, um, that wasn't fully reported as well was that some of the commercial airlines were actually threatening some of those pilots. And I won't say who those airlines were, but we're threatening them and saying that we're going to fire you if you come forward. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they, some of the pilots were like, well, we don't care. But they were telling, you know, we were, we were hearing about it and that's scary on its own where at that point, even in a commercial airline, you're not able to report what you've experienced because you're scared you're going to lose your job and lose your wings. And one thing I thought was really, really interesting is that no matter what, when you report, and Mark Colsey told me this in the interview that I did with him, it's that no matter what you report, and I don't suggest anyone to do this, but when you just report something small about a pilot and airline, that can ground them for days or weeks. So it really affects their job in many ways, too, if they're calling them crazy or anything else. So, you know, it could have grounded Mark or anyone on a commercial airline. So they're scared to report because they don't want they want to work. It's their money. They get paid to fly. How many hours they fly is what they get paid, I believe. So that's why those commercial airlines, you know, they're scared when commercial pilots are very scared. But also then you shouldn't have that corporation threatening them to take away their jobs. It's just not right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think that leading into 2023, this is the evolution we're going to see in the commercial flight world of uh, standards and procedures following in, you know, conjunction with military pilots. I I think it's great. I I think this is a really, really positive step forward. And you guys highlighting these things and the alarming amount of them is only going to uh, push that forward. So, again, kudos to Ryan Grace for this group he's put together. And um, kudos to you guys for bringing the story yeah, and, and Micah Hanks knowing FAA like such an amazing journalist you know Absolutely. I'm not the only person in this you know Micah did a majority of writing that story as well and you know we're finding it together and, and putting it out like he's just an amazing journalist so kudos to him and his back knowledge we you know we found out and five days later we're like pushing something out so for him I I congrats him because you have a really great side journalist and a side partner doing that because I didn't know FAA the way he does so kudos yeah. to he uh, he had an episode of his podcast this week, the Micah Hanks program that covers yeah. this entire string of events, too. So I highly suggest people go check that out. But Chrissy, before you go, where can we check you out? What do you got yeah, coming sure. down the pipeline? Give it to us. I know you got to get going. Yeah, for sure. So um, I have Christopher Plain. I think he's still on here. I love you, Chris. I'm going to be doing some stuff uh, probably around Warp 
uh, technology and some uh, some interviews around that in the next coming weeks. So check that out on Rebelliously Curious. And also you can always check me out when I'm with Ryan, hopefully more next year, somewhere in the skies. So uh, follow us there or watch us still here. Uh, and also you can check me out on Instagram. It's at being Chrissy Newton or again on my Twitter at Chrissy Newton. So I'll see you guys there. Awesome. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you for your time. Happy holidays. And I know I'll probably Happy be talking holidays. to you in an hour or so about other other things. So um, I'll say yeah. goodbye for now. <laughs> that sounds good. Good to see you, Vinny. Take care, Chrissy. Bye, guys. Bye, Chrissy. Bye-bye. And then there were two. <laughs> Vinny, but the, the two sweaters <laughs> going on. Dude, thank you for sticking around. I've got two more major stories if you're willing to stick around. I'm more than happy, my friend. More than happy. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate everyone sticking around. This has been incredible. I, I don't remember the last time I've had this many people watching a live stream. Probably when, um, gosh, uh, I think it was Moment of Contact. We had James Fox on which we're going to bring up in a little bit, but um, oh, yeah. let's uh, let's rewind, my man. So we had two other uh, sort of government-involved conferences that happened this year. one in Brazil, uh, which was amazing from what I've heard. A lot of Brazilian cases brought forward that um, I'd never heard of or anything like that. Um, and I'm going to be honest, it didn't make my list only because it completely slipped my mind. So if you want to touch on it, you can. But I do have, um, on October 13th, the French government, uh, space yeah. agency hosted an international conference. Let's run through this quick. The National Center for Space Studies, in conjunction with the Information and Study Group of UAP, uh, which is GAIPAN, um, yeah. the conference in Toulouse, France. Uh, the attendees ranged from military to private researchers, represented visitors from 13 countries. And um, that that's amazing. And it was in English and in French, which yeah. is only going to open the doors for more people to uh, receive the information at this thing. And for speakers, you know, you had Ted Rowe there. Um, and you even had a, uh, a journalist, a French journalist, actually, who works over at the debrief. And uh, I just want to make sure I get his name here right. Baptiste uh, Friescourt actually attended this event. (laughs) And um, he was so kind enough to send me a video about his experience and kind of um, what what he saw there and who spoke. So I'm going to go ahead and play that really quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, we'll we'll talk on the other side about it. So here is Baptiste Friescourt talking about this amazing event. Hello, I'm Baptiste Friscourt. A few months ago, I was able to cover the UAP conference organized by the French Space Agency for the debrief. Since 1977, the National Center for Space Studies has financed a department that has gathered witness reports and has investigated them. Today, it is named the GEPAN and headed by Vincent Coste. That event, named KEPAN, gathered more than a 100 experts on UAPs from every part of the world. The main points that were discussed were methodological. The same way you need to sort through dirt to find gold, the majority of witness reports have common causes that can be discovered through the rigorous scientific investigation of a case. That allows to select 3% of cases where the source of the sighting cannot be identified despite a full investigation. During the CAPON, 
Various experts shared their methods of investigating cases to an audience of private researchers, military personnel, and representatives from national and international organizations. Interestingly, NASA's Daniel Evans took part in the presentation, introducing his own UAP group aiming to establish the framework of an high-risk research program. Jacques Vallée presented his research on UFO debris, published this year in the peer-reviewed journal Progress in Aerospace Science, and the Trinity case concerning an alleged UFO crash recovered by the U.S. Army in 1945. Akan Kayal presented his data, collection stations, and academic programs, while Ted Rowe showed the results of NARCAP's research and called for an international initiative on UAP research. François Louange, Japan's expert on visual evidence, proved that the well-known McMinnville UFO was a fake. But very interestingly, the Kepan opened on the presentation of an ongoing investigation of uh, UAP sightings witnessed by a former military member. The witness described seeing three large red-colored rectangles hovering a few kilometers away from one of France's largest military nuclear installations. To this day, this case is unexplained. There you go, man. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much to Baptiste for sending that in. And apologies for pronouncing your last name wrong. I'm clearly French is not my thing. Still trying to learn how to decipher some of the Scottish over here too, but um, that's a whole other story. Vinny, what do you think, man? You know, we started with these congressional hearings in the U.S. We have all these, um, you know, highly influential people speaking in America, but it's spreading, man. Look at this. We've got two huge events, one in France, one in Brazil. Uh, what do you think about all of this happening? Um, what is it heading towards and what do you make of all of these conferences? Oh, you're, you're muted. My apologies. Polite I keep doing bastard. that. I'm trying to be too polite. <laughs> I, I'm basically going to kind of cover what uh, Baptiste said and he said it so eloquently and beautifully and I can't say it in such a beautiful language, but the Kaipan conference under the authority of Gaipan was great. You know, we, he mentioned we had Dan Evans heading the NASA UAP study coming to talk as well. But then we had multiple Gaipan speakers. And, you know, this is a very well-respected agency talking about things like satellite networks and the ways that we can, you know, look at um, tracking and tracing and looking at UAP. Um, and of course, we had Jacques Vallée. You know, that's always going to add credibility to any conference. Ted Rowe, he mentioned as well, calling for international cooperation. And then it's a perfect opportunity to exchange the latest research and experimental protocols between researchers from around the globe. It's it's a really is pulls the community together from from around the globe. And I think it was a really open. Uh, conversation that, that they had even though it wasn't a public conference a lot of the information you know it wasn't classified or anything like that and it, and it all came out afterwards and it was a really positive step forward in my opinion absolutely same with brazil you know with so yeah. much with such a rich history with this phenomenon um it was good to finally hear them like embrace it and even their military people talk about it so i i think this is all you know, very positive things. And uh, yeah. it's only going to help. It's only going to help the topic, I feel. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, let's talk about um, let's talk about some people who aren't so open with things. And that is the highly secretive place known as Area 51. And um, this story um, came out, this was in November, November 18th. 
uh, Air Force and FBI raid homes of men with Area 51 website. Let me get this on the screen here. Um, Jorg Arnu, a Nevada man who operates the website dreamlandresort.com, focusing on Area 51, reported that military and federal investigators raided his homes on November 3rd. They took materials and his laptops, and I've got some video footage, uh, again, from George Knapp, who interviewed George, uh, George, Gort, George, am I saying that right? Uh, he's so. tough. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with that. Um, God, I'm such an American. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this story is crazy, man. Like we had big Bobby laser getting raided by the FBI when he, uh, came forward in Jeremy Corbell's doc and said he had some area, uh, some element 115. Um, I know a lot of people don't think that's why the raid happened story for another time. But here we have just a normal dude who literally became a U.S. citizen to move to Nevada and uh, scope out Area 51 and put together this really cool website. And then, boom, out of nowhere, this happens. No explanation as to why. Um, what do you think, man? What do you make of this story? This is, uh, this is crazy that this is happening in 2022. Yeah, I think the first thing that really hit me home is that I'm, I've been I, I've looked at dreamlandresort.com for many years, and yeah. it was kind of surprising. I didn't think that the guy had done anything out of uh, the ordinary. He'd obviously put a lot of work into uh, going to locations where he could get seriously interesting photographs of the uh, the landscape surrounding the the area fifty one testing range or the range whatever you want to call it um and very quickly in my mind i thought well all i can think of is the sensitivity of what it might reveal to adversaries i wasn't looking at this from a conspiratorial angle but Mm. one thing i noticed very quickly online is that everyone was looking at this from a conspiratorial angle like he had (laughs) revealed some incredible information or something and the guy but the guy himself admitted that throughout the debacle of him his home being you know his door being knocked down and him being handcuffed or whatever he reached out and shouted all these agents saying what have i done wrong and even for for hours afterwards no one would give him a a decisive answer on what he what he was in trouble for and i think he had two homes raided and all his um, devices and recovered and i think for days after he still didn't know what the problem was and so i don't know i i put it down to literally maybe he had some sensitive photographs from one of the peaks that overlooks that maybe gives away some adversarial advantage i I, I, you know i'm trying to look at it from that angle i i might be wrong yeah who knows well you know i've got a short video here again george knapp interviewed him i'm gonna play that so we can hear from him himself um Arnu. So let me go ahead and play that now. And then I also have a statement that um, Arnu gave to press. I reached out to him at the website and he, he couldn't grant interviews. He's, he's dealing with a lot right now. He's literally working with lawyers right now on all of this. Cause he still hasn't gotten his computers back. Uh, yeah. Like it's crazy, dude. It, this, this is ugh, God. I, I, I hate hearing things like this when the FBI kind of bully their way in, but um could be for some reasons. Let's hear from Arnu about it. I came to this country because I love this country and I became a citizen to support this country. I would never do anything to hurt this country, but I don't understand 
what is going on right now. Arnu is not anti-government, not even anti-secrecy. He says he's always been careful to screen out content that might cross the line and expose something that is legitimately classified. Asking, okay, what is going on? What are you doing in my house? Um, to which I just, I'm looking basically at this point at a riot shield and a gun that was drawn and pointed at me and an agent uh, in a stern voice giving me commands to turn around, hands against the wall. Uh, he then proceeded to yank my hands pretty violently back, uh, handcuffed me very tight. I mean, it really hurt. I got the message that, hey, these guys are serious. As it is right now, I have no clear understanding what I'm being charged with or why my property was seized. Was seized. My various computers, three or four laptops, cell phones, memory sticks, uh, backup drives, my camera equipment that is worth uh, almost $10,000, my drone, everything was taken. Uh, I was presented with a list of items that were taken, but not with the reason why they were taken. Do you feel that this was sending some sort of a message to you that, uh, hey, Area 51 is still a classified place, secret things go on there, sensitive things go on there, and you better watch your step? I believe this was all about sending a message. There you go, man, sending a message. Um, well, Arnu sent me a message. He was kind enough to email me back with this statement. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read this uh, quickly. Uh, let's see here. I have to believe that someone gave them bad information about us. Um, he did mention in the video everything that was taken. He's looking at not counting my expected legal expenses. My losses so far include over 20000 U.S. dollars in equipment taken and over $5,000 in damage. Uh, there are 40 pages missing from the search warrant I received, and the records are sealed. I can't even look up the reason for the search. I don't want to speculate. Um, I left several messages with the FBI agent in charge, but he hasn't returned my calls. At this point, I have no choice but to take legal action uh, for reimbursement. And um, in an effort to defuse the situation, I removed some material from the Dreamland Resort website, although I believe that it was legally obtained and legal to publish. I'm not sharing anything on my website that cannot be found on dozens of other websites and news outlets. Uh, considering how this went down, I have no intention of removing any more material unless ordered to do so by a federal judge. I believe the search executed with uh, the search executed with completely unnecessary force uh, by overzealous government agents was meant as a message to silence the Area 51 research community. The question now is, how far will they go? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how far they'll go, but this is scary. Again, 2022, this stuff is still happening, but who knows, man? Yeah, maybe it was one photo or um, like you said, maybe he just got an angle of something that he shouldn't have. And this probably happens more often than we know, to be completely sure. honest. But Arnu was just willing to come forward and talk about it publicly. So, yeah, anything else to add to this story before we move on? Just that I feel for the guy. I seriously feel for the guy. You know, I think all he's genuinely trying to do is provide information to to the general public, like myself and you do. And he's doing it in his own way. And it's unfortunate that this happened to him. So my my heart goes out to him. You know, I hope it all gets figured out in the right way, and he doesn't get any further. You know, struggles and problems placed upon him and his family's life and his you know livelihood. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Best of luck to him. Um, I do know he has a GoFundMe set up to help with legal expenses. So go to dreamlandresort.com, guys, if you want to help Arnu in his fight to get his stuff back. He doesn't even have his freaking cell phone. Like after the <laughs> raid, he, w- he wasn't able to contact anyone because he couldn't. Uh, just that's that's the kind of stuff that pisses me off. Um, let's move on to things that didn't piss us off, Vinny. We had some amazing documentaries come out this this year. Um, I know there were a lot, but we're going to talk about kind of two of them that really, really, uh, really struck a chord with people. And that was Aerial Phenomenon by Rendell Nickerson, documentary about the aerial school UFO incident. Um, I think I have. Do I have an image for that? Let me see. I do. There we go. Um, amazing film. Um, you know, this followed uh, Harvard professor, a BBC war reporter and past students uh, of this case um, and their struggle to answer the question. What happens when you experience something so extraordinary that nobody believes you? I know you saw the film. What do you oh, yeah. think of it? And uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think of this entire case? It's definitely a case that I've been following since I first heard of it many years ago. And over the last sort of uh, 18 months, I've had private conversations with some of the, the kids, the witnesses, uh, um, who weren't, unfortunately, they didn't want to come forward and have face-to-face interviews. And I fully respect that. But, you know, we knew that Randall had been working on this documentary for many years. You know, it was mm-hmm. there was a lot of questions going, when's this going to come out? And no one really knew. And then all of a sudden, the, the promos came. And I, I was so happy for that. And Lo and behold, I was lucky enough to be one of those uh, podcasts that got to interview Randall, and it was amazing. The one thing I will say very, very briefly is that before we go live on these interviews, and you you might feel the same, you have conversations with these people, and it turns out me and Randall have uh, a couple of places where I grew up in common, you know, and we 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 oh, wow. in, instantly connected on that. So leading into when the interview went live, we had that relaxed atmosphere around us and i felt like that really broke down some things and it became one of my favorite interviews and randall's just an awesome guy the story's an awesome story and no matter what anybody thinks about the aerial case it's solidified as one of the i think one of the most important cases that we've discussed here in the community in in the last five years if not the last decade agreed absolutely well, let's talk about another highly controversial case that a lot of people didn't know about, but they sure as hell do now. And that is the Varginia case. And this is brought to us by the one and only James Fox, filmmaker who made the breakout film, uh, The Phenomenon. And this was his follow-up. Uh, you know, he was going to cover the Varginia case in Phenomenon, but had to cut it out, you know, due to time limits. So what did he do? What any good filmmaker does. He made an entire other movie out of the one case. And uh man, he just went hit the ground running with this one. Some amazing bombshells were dropped in that film. People who've never come forward came forward. Um so yeah, for any of our uh viewers who may not be familiar with the case, Vinny, would you mind maybe giving us your personal kind of like I guess rundown of the case and what it means to you? Did you know about this case prior to the film? I did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all I really knew about it was 1996. There were, uh, you know, it's not a a very well, hugely populated area of Brazil. But, you know, um, the case was that the people saw a a craft in trouble, you know, really close to the ground, which, you know, ended up in a crash. I knew about the one crash witness. 
leading to probably the most well-known part of the story was the three girls witnessing a being in trouble in a, in a, in part of a small town, Virginia. And that was, you know, featured in a very early James uh, Fox interview from probably around a decade ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I think that was kind of really what we knew. There wasn't many details and depth on the story. And so, like you said, when we found out that James was doing a full documentary on, on this and we knew he wanted to touch upon on, on this in the phenomenon, he didn't. It was it built expectations up to, you know, this is this is gonna be something. And 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 it was. Now, I think the one thing I will say is that it, it did garner some criticism when it came out because it didn't really provide any proof or evidence. It only really went on witness testimony. But as someone who's been out to a a foreign country and to investigate a case and film something, you can only put out what you get. And James did the best that he could. And he had a great team of researchers supporting him on this. Brazilian researchers that had been looking into this case for for many years. I think he brought forward more testimony than has ever been seen since the mid-90s. So in my eyes, he did a phenomenal job. Yes, we'd like to see more. But for anyone out there that's criticizing, all I will say is, go and do a better job. <laughs> yep, that's the answer I give anyone. Yeah, you want you, yeah, you got criticism? That's fine. Like we need that as content producers, as researchers. Yeah. yeah. Like feedback is essential. Otherwise, we never grow. But, you know, if it's if it gets to the point where you're like, you know, you suck at this, then go do it yourself. That's what sure. I tell people. <laughs> Trust me, there's other things I could be doing with my life, but I love UFOs too much to let it go. So thank you to everyone who's still watching. Dude, our numbers have gone up and we're two hours and 15 minutes in. That never happens. They usually go down, but uh, <laughs> this is fantastic. Thank you, Vinny, for sticking around, brother. Um, my pleasure. Let's move Thank you. Let's move on. We're going to just go through these really quick. Um, I'm not going to play videos or anything, but we have the James Webb Telescope uh, produced its first images. And holy hell are these things gorgeous, man. Um, NASA revealed the first five full color images and uh, the world got its first look at the capabilities of this mission. Astronomers anticipate the telescope will spark a golden age in our understanding of the cosmos scientists uh, also want to study planets outside the solar system for a variety of reasons. And um, they actually got some images of an exoplanet and uh, the discoveries of water and methane, for example, could be signs of potential habitability or biological activity. So the closer we get to these things, man, the clearer the images are going to be. So yeah. What, what did you think when you finally saw the images that we had been uh, hoping for for so long i mean it's it's a beautiful thing isn't it i mean i'm very lucky because we have dan zetterstrom as part of our team so you know the moment these things were out they were in our private chat going guys check this out you know he's all over <laughs> this kind of thing and you know i love anything to do with uh, astronomy and that so yeah i mean the moment i saw them i was like the, the pure beauty of them the the realization of the advancement of the technology that we've got now the james webb has been released and found its way there and that was always a big deal as well it was the launch and it was getting there positioning itself in the place that it needed to be enable it to get these images and thank goodness that it, it did all of that 
in perfect harmony and then here we are here, here are the results and it's beautiful and i'm just so happy and, and looking forward to the future of what what it can provide us with absolutely and i think that's the thing that really uh strikes me is the accuracy in which these things have to happen the math involved the uh, contingency <laughs> plans i can't even imagine the pressure on the people who made this happen um so Kudos, kudos to them for this, for changing humanity forever and yeah. uh, progressing us forward in our understanding of the cosmos. Um, another big one that broke in September is NAS- NASA intentionally moves an asteroid. Dude, this is like the stuff of Hollywood. I love yep. this. <laughs> uh, NASA's first attempt at changing the path of an asteroid succeeded. So, yeah, yeah. man, planetary defense. Look. We've had some close calls in the past. We're going to have them again. Like this could be how the world ostensibly ends someday. Hopefully not anytime soon. But look, we now have the capabilities to move an asteroid that could be coming towards Earth. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. What would you think of um, of DART, which I love the name, by the way, Double uh, Asteroid uh, Redirection Test. <laughs> I absolutely love it, Ryan. And I think the funny thing was from that night was, I log into all of these things and watch them live, whether it be rocket launches or anything to do with space. I, I, I watch them all live when I can. And this one, I was like, yes, I'm so hyped for this. And it went live. And we saw that dot on the screen. There, there it is. There's the asteroid. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And I'm there. And I'm like 15 minutes, 20 minutes in, and it's not getting any bigger. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here for a while. So I started... <laughs> In my own head, I started predicting how long it would take until the picture became big. I was like, I think based on this, it's going to be like two hours. So I'm going to log out. I'm going to come back in two hours. And, of course, I completely miscalculated and logged in. And it was was all celebrations. Of course, who am I to try and judge that kind of thing? But there was me trying to be (laughs) clever, thinking I'm going to like, I'll just log in in two hours and they'll probably be close to it and then I'll see the impact. But all in all, it was obviously a great mission. It was, uh, like you said, something out of a Hollywood movie. And, yeah, I mean, it kind of, it does put some kind of ease on you that if this was something that was headed towards Earth, like we see in the movies, then maybe we'd have a chance at like uh, averting a, a disaster. So yeah, right. cool stuff. Cool stuff. I mean, in the movies, it's like they are taken by surprise and it's too late at that point. Or you send Bruce Willis up to drill. I was going to say in the movies, they send people up with it to do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Nah. But, um, <laughs> you know who might, send people up in the future to the moon and to Mars. That's the Artemis mission. Um, That's kind of the last space story I want to cover with you, my man. Uh, We had the Artemis finally launch after so many false starts and, and bureaucracy, this, that God, the drama behind this mission for so many years is just insane. Um, the Orion spacecraft finally began its maiden voyage into space, leading the U.S. back to the moon. The mission, a.k.a. Artemis 1, is a flight test and the beginning of NASA's return to the astronaut-led deep space exploration. The campaign will eventually send people to the moon and perhaps one day even Mars. And if I'm correct, the capsule just landed like yeah. in the last day or so. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you catch that one live or no? I didn't know. Unfortunately, I think with the time of day, just with life and, 
family stuff, yeah. it, it, it didn't happen. But the one thing I will say about the Artemis mission is that this was the first story that I was able to discuss with my daughter. This is where the kind of romance of this whole subject comes in. My daughter just turned five and she's obsessed with space. And mm-hmm. a lot of what I talk about with her is that she's going to be able to see things happen in her lifetime that I never, I was never really able to see, you know. We stopped going to the moon in, what, 72? I was born in 77. So I never got to see that. Now we're in an era where it's all happening again and it's picking up. And so knowing that she's had an interest in space from the age of sort of three, I was really, I was purposely reading a space book, obviously. But we get to that point where she's interested in rockets and that she, she's like, Daddy, I'm drawing rockets. I'm drawing aliens. I'm drawing spacemen Aww. and that. So I'm literally, I'm raising, uh, you know, a, a really beautiful little girl who's interested in this kind of thing and she's starting to take note and starting to watch these live rocket launches with me so artemis was the first one that we've really sat down and done together and now you know here we are and that just gives me hope for the future of not only my family but the future of like the human race that we're finally going back out into space and advancing these things that we have uh, neglected maybe for 40 odd years you know yeah that's beautiful, man. I love hearing that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And these are the moments she's, she and you are going to remember the rest of your lives. And absolutely, and everyone knows where they were when, you know, we first landed on the moon and, and all that. So, yeah, I think, again, uh, bravo, bravo to everyone at NASA. These missions are finally all kind of happening. And it takes time. That's what happens when you have a government-funded project. So, God bless uh, the private space sector, too, for helping out with a lot of this. No matter your thoughts on Mr. Musk, like, he is a big reason this thing finally launched. Let's be completely honest. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, well, hey, let's move, Vinny, to the stories that um, didn't quite make the top tier, but they were honorable honorable mentions this year. Um, so I've got a few of them right here that I'm going to go through. <laughs> And then I want your personal ones. These are sure. some of the ones I kind of dug up. Um, we've got the Seven News documentary by Ross Coulthard that came out, the UFO phenomenon. And I kind of jokingly put the the metal ball picture there because that's all oh, people yes. took. But so much was in the documentary. Um, so I do highly suggest people go check it out. Ross does an incredible job of compiling this stuff and making it very accessible for the mainstream. And for Australia, again, I think like... Yeah. Yeah, thank God we got him out there fighting the fight and doing that. Um, we also have the new insignia for the Office of Director of National Intelligence. New. Uh, came and went pretty damn quick, but you see it right there. Um, this was a weird story. I still don't know what to make of it. I don't think anyone does. But you'll see there in the lower left corner of that insignia, little flying saucer. And then a day later, it was taken out. So... Crazy story. What did you think of that, man? That that kind of took us all by surprise, I would say. It was huge, wasn't it? The moment that came out, out of nowhere, it was huge. You know, NIM Aviation was the talk of the town for 24 hours and everyone was getting hyped. Everyone was thinking, you know, what is it all about? We started working out that the aircraft were um, adversarial. And yeah, it, it was a huge conversation piece all across social media and probably in the aviation world as well. And, and then, then, like you said, it was boom gone <laughs> someone got fired that day i guarantee that. i guarantee it and you got yeah. you broke a lot of ufo hearts but um hey Definitely. it is what it is <laughs> um 
Well, here's another one. Nation's largest center for historical records on UFOs to be established in New Mexico. And that is with Mr. David Marler, a book I know you're diving deep into right now on triangular UFOs. You did an awesome kind of um, book recommendation, Instagram Live. So, guys, if you can, go check that out over on Vinny's Instagram. I caught a little bit of it. Um, this is amazing. You know, I we both, I think, interviewed David. And yeah. you can see this entire office in the background when he's talking. And it's just... I'm just like dripping with drool. I'm like, I can't even imagine what's in those files. And it's just getting larger and larger. It, this, this, this amazing thing he's brought uh, is amazing. And he will invite anyone out to come do yeah. the research. He's got the, that kind of very, not cliche, but really iconic log table with the green desk lamps. And you can come stay at his place and, um, and crash there. Uh, David, if I'm wrong, please let me know. I hope I'm not making your house an Airbnb right now on uh, a live stream. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can go do your research there. So yeah. first question, Vinny, what do you think about this? And two, when are you going to New Mexico to spend a few nights there? <laughs> Great question on all fronts. I think it's really important that we uh, recognize the importance of historical data when it comes to the UFO subject. Mm -hmm. A lot of the focus in the last few years has been from 20, uh, 2004 onwards. And I understand that when it comes to what the government's looking at. But something I've really picked upon with the helps of great researchers like my colleague and our friend Graham Rendell is that historical data really adds weight to what we're looking at, even in modern times. And now that we have this new repository, this new home for historical records, not just from the U.S., but from all over the world um, with historical uh archives from jail and Hynek, NICAP and so many others. And you're right. When I spoke to David Marler, he did say, if you're out here, come and visit. And now it turns out that I am actually going to be flying to Albuquerque, New Mexico in June of 2023. So David, Oh my God, I was totally joking. That's awesome. I'm totally serious. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, going to take him up on that offer. He was, he was really, and these, this is another thing that I mentioned earlier is when we, we do these interviews with these prominent researchers and, and people is that the conversations before you go live and after you go live are some of the best conversations I've ever the had. Best. And with David, it was like, we need to share a beer, whether he's over here in England or I'm over there. And so it's happening. I'm flying to Albuquerque in June, 2023. So. Ah, I can't nope. wait to see what you got, man. <laughs> More to come, guys, at Disclosure Team and UAP <laughs> UK for sure. Um, my last honorable mention um, is Mr. Christopher Sharp over at the Liberation Times came out with an article, Air Force Officer Reprimanded for Reaching Out to UAP Task Force. Now, um, I know you and several others spoke to Christopher Mellon back when his big article came out at the debrief about where is the Air Force in all of this? They've been so silent and um, and kind of dodgy about all of it. And this article comes out and we learned from Christopher Sharp that uh, an officer was actually reprimanded for reaching out to the task force. Um, look, I know there's protocol. I know there's, you know, a lot that goes into this stuff. But not only was he reprimanded, but they've also kind of admitted that they're dissolving their whole kind of uh, reporting system and taking a back seat in this topic once again. So that's why I kind of put that image there of that womp womp disappointed yeah. uh, Air Force officer there. I thought it embodied it pretty well. What do you think, man? This pisses me off. 
We're back to the it, Air Force not wanting to be a part of this. It does. And I feel like the uh, the Air Force is still run by the old guard. You know, we talk about this yeah. in, in many aspects of the UFO subject. These are the guys hanging on to the secrecy. And they, they, they'll do everything they can until the last final minute when they just, they're outed. But I think the Air Force being the most prominent military branch that really have uh, obfuscated this truth. And I think this is just the, one of the latest cases of them hanging on to withholding information from the public domain. Um, and in that same sentence i will shout out christopher sharp for the excellent work that he does i'm actually recording a show with him tomorrow at 2 p.m uh yeah you know i've got friends in the air force who have i've only recently made so i know from what i've learned very recently that it is not the air force as as a general branch of the military it is a small little annex buried within this that relates to the the old guard as we mentioned that want to keep a lid on this i think that's going to break I, I think they're hanging on by a thread and that maybe that's me being positive but hey i'm all for positivity so we'll see we'll see that's why we love you man we need it we need it <laughs> well hey those were my honorable mentions what did you come up with what did i miss in all of this anything really kind of go under the radar that we uh, didn't talk about tonight I think one thing that was notable mid 2022 was uh, Lou Elizondo uh, finishing his podcast uh, appearances around June time. And and that made way for people like Gary Nolan and Jim Semivan to start doing the round. So I want to kind of give a shout out to Lou for everything he did. And but also to Gary Nolan, Jim Semivan for coming forward with the information that they were have been giving since then. Um, One kind of study that I feel kind of did get a little bit of prominence was the ukraine uap study caused a little bit oh, of controversy yeah. avi Loeb kind of weighed in on that that was interesting and then i suppose the uh, wilson davis memo that was mentioned in the congressional hearings again i got to give a shout out to grant cameron and menenda leslie for the releasing the oak shannon notes and the jack hauk notes and also mm-hmm. a shout out to jay from project unity for the interview with oak shannon i think they were some kind of fairly big things that came out in the last year That's fair. Absolutely, man. Again, like, thank you. Thank you to everyone who contributed to any of this news this year. You know, it makes, uh, it makes this topic worth our time, uh, for us researchers out there who sometimes when we create content are too busy to do some of this legwork. So we have you to thank for kind of being the ones to go out and do that. Um, especially when you're working on two books and, and other <laughs> stuff like that. What? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. What um, but um, I want to move to Vinny, some sad news. And that's a sure. couple people we lost this year. Um, we had just days ago, um, AJ Javard. And we also had um, maybe a month or so ago, forgive me guys, is uh, Linda Godfrey. I've had the, amazing pleasure to meet linda on several occasions never met aj but my god like two powerhouses in the ufo field and the just the unexplained linda looked a lot into a lot of cryptozoological stuff and um she was so supportive of me when i first got involved in this topic man like my i was so scared when i first got involved in the minute someone like criticized me i'm like ah, i'm done i'm quitting <laughs> she's like yo it's some thick skin there, Sprague. You got a long way to go, buddy. And trust me, it just gets harder, especially yeah. for females in this field. So that meant a lot coming from her. So, yeah, yeah, these two will sorely 
sorely be missed in the field. Uh, did you ever meet AJ or talk to him? I didn't know. Obviously, I've had conversations with uh, Roni Vinay from Brazil and recently yeah. James Fox. And so I realized the importance of AJ's work uh, quite some time ago. And, you know, like you say, it's always really difficult to miss uh, researchers who are still in their prime when it comes to the work that they're doing. They'll be sorely, sorely missed as people and as researchers. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rest in peace to both of them. And I know there were others too this past year who I might have forgotten. So um, yeah, shout them out in the chat, guys, if I'm missing anyone, please. Um, these are the people who paved the way for people like us. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting emotional. Um, who paved the way for people like us. So yeah. definitely. Thank you to both of them. Um, and thank you also. I have to shout this guy out. This is Alexander Agnarsson, and um, he has a amazing website called ufotimeline.com and it's actually where i went for a lot of our stories tonight um so please go check it out he's got a extensive just a timeline of all the news stories that came out this past year boom there you go if you want to um see what we might have missed go to the website check it out um so yeah thank you thank you to alexander for bringing this to our attention um highly suggest people check that out um Last question for you, Vinny, before we wrap things up here. What are you looking forward to? We just looked back at some incredible stuff that has happened this past year with this topic. But as we know, we are moving into uncertain times in the world, uncertain times with this topic, and a lot is on the horizon. Um, We still don't have the UAP report, (laughs) which is crazy. Maybe we'll get it before the end of the year. I don't know. But what are you looking forward to most in 2023 as we move forward? with the ufo topic i think for me personally is a mixture of what's been happening for the last for last year it's me for me personally it's speaking to people i'm lucky enough to speak to through my show but also watching other shows like yourself andy and everyone else so we get that information and we we bring it all together through interviews and conversations that we have online also the ndaa is looking mighty fine right now it's passed through the house representatives um i think it's going to be passing through the senate anytime now signed into law possibly pre-christmas if not pre-new year that'll be fantastic then maybe we'll get this report at some time every little piece that i've talked about right there uh, is moving the ball forward um i'm obviously i'm going to be shouting out the work i'm doing i'm going back out to columbia in the new year and uh, investigating and filming season two of phenomenology i've got two conference appearances next year so everything's looking good like the conversation's moving forward and I'm just happy to be a part of it. And I just appreciate being here and being able to do what I do and share my passion and the hard work that I put in. Absolutely, man. And we should mention here, you mentioned conferences, Roswell UFO Symposium. Ryan and Vinny, your names are going to be in the Roswell Daily Record tomorrow. Wow. wow. What an honor. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's wow. crazy. Mom, you get those magnets ready for the refrigerator. Because <laughs> I got some news for you. You're, you're listening, Sue Sprague. Um, that's awesome. Yes, Vinny and I are both going to be partaking in a really cool event, the Roswell Expo uh, this year, being put together yeah. by Thomas Reed, the famous yeah. UFO experiencer. Um, this is so cool. He's he's curated probably one of the most ambitious conferences I've ever come across. And um, I'm so honored to be a part of it. I can't wait to see, Vinny, what you're going to be talking about. I'm going to be talking about a lot of my my television work and how 
how, uh, you know, how you do that, how you work on television with this yeah. topic and um, how we bite, scratch and claw for credible information to get out to the public through television. And it is hard. I'm not going to lie. It's a huge struggle. Um, yeah. <laughs> editors can make or break anything you do. And um, <laughs> well, that's a story for another time. I'm going to be talking about my trials and tribu- tribulations in the world of Hollywood when it comes to this topic. Um, but yeah, can you tease us a little bit about what you might be talking about at that event? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've got the, the 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 ongoing Columbia investigation. I'm going to be discussing that. I'll bring up the Calvin thing, and yeah, a little bit of, sort of things that connect the two, from historical research to modern day boots on the ground research, and that the fact that anybody can get involved. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's what I love about this topic. Like the the community has grown exponentially since I got involved. Yeah, and um, that's exciting. I just met up with um, Maureen Ellsbury, who a lot of you may know as one of my former colleagues at Open Minds and also uh, Rogue Planet, another news media website that I work with. And uh, she came to Scotland and we just reminisced about the old UFO days and how much it's changed since she kind of um, not moved on. She's very much, let me tell you, she's very much still involved in this topic, just kind of from the periphery. And uh, she's just uh, astounded at how much it's grown since 2017. <laughs> um, whether that's good or bad is yet to be seen, but um, I never would have met people like you and Andy without that. So uh, it's awesome. I, I think it's it's incredible. Um, Paranormal Pixie, thank you for the super chat. Just to say again, fantastic work, guys. Blessings mm-hmm. to you this season. Thank you, Laura. We truly, truly appreciate it. Love you, Thank Laura. Thank you for your donation to the Women's Refugee Commission. Uh, last chance, guys, if you want to donate to an amazing organization, the Women's Refugee Commission, do a super chat, super sticker right now as we wrap things up. Really, really do appreciate that. Um, but before we go, Vinny, let me make sure I got everything here before I say goodnight to you. Last question, as always, my man. I've got Disclosure Team right there, but where can everyone find everything you're up to? Uh, the best place to go would be my Instagram account, which is disclosure underscore team. And there you'll find my bio with my, all my links and everything there. That's kind of my prominent social media presence. But I'm always, always on all social media chatting away. And I love hearing from people and chatting and doing lives. And also you can find my YouTube there. There's just so many places, but you'll find me. I'm sure you you're are. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're everywhere, man. It's, it's amazing. I, I love everything you're doing. Well, Hey, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to debrief with the audience a little bit and do a little touchy Christmas message to them all. But I want to thank you for sticking around for almost three hours, man. What a marathon. It, it was an absolute pleasure to finally have you on. I couldn't think of a better way to finally introduce you to my audience. And uh, I know we've got a lot more of this to come in the future in 2023. So Thank you, Vinny. Thanks for being here. No, thank you so much, Ryan. Uh, Happy holidays to you, to everyone in your live chat, and we'll speak soon. Thank you. Absolutely, my man. Happy holidays. We'll talk soon. Take care. Peace. Bye. And then there was one. Wow, guys. Huge, huge thank you to Chrissy Newton, Andy McGrillen, Vinny Adams for being here tonight and going through all of this. They did so much homework for this episode uh, without me even prompting that. So I really have to thank them for the time and dedication they gave to this 2022 wrap up episode here. And uh, I want to thank you guys for an incredible year of somewhere in the skies. The show has grown far beyond anything I ever anticipated. Um, 
And I honestly am speechless that people almost 300 episodes later are still listening, still watching. Our YouTube numbers are growing. Um, and the podcast just continues to grow as well. So clearly I'm doing things you like, but please reach out to me if there are things you don't like. I always love feedback and how I can make the show better. So um, thank you. Thank you for sticking with us through a tumultuous year of UFOs. Crazy year in the world in general. And um, hey, if anything, this is the one topic that brings us all together. And I've always really appreciated that about this topic. And I have you guys to thank for that. Um, your support truly, truly means the world to me and to um, a lot of us out there who continue to do this research. And um, <laughs> I'll bet maybe um, it takes up a little too much time in some of our lives. Uh, but hey, we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't love it. And if you're going to keep listening and watching, we're going to keep doing it. So thank you. Thank you for an amazing year at Somewhere in the Skies. Uh, thank you to everyone everyone who has ever brought any of these stories forward. And um, yeah, we truly have you to thank for giving us content to talk about every week on our podcasts and YouTube channels. So thank you to all of you. Um, and I think that's about it. Please like, please share, please subscribe. Very much appreciated. Um, I did drop a new episode today of Somewhere in the Skies podcast, my Christmas episode, uh, where I covered cases that have all happened around Christmas time. And um, we got some bangers in there. We've got the Belgian UFO wave. We've got the Herb uh, Shermer close encounter case. Uh, what else was in that episode? We've got a, a doomsday cult that's saying Christmas carols to aliens on Christmas, um, thinking the world was going to end. Uh, it did not. Uh, however, um, some awesome cases I came across. So please go check that out in the archives right now, summerintheskies.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And I think that's about it. I want to wish all of you a very happy holiday season, a happy new year. So much to come for Somewhere in the Skies in the coming year. I can't wait to share that with you soon. Um, so with that, I'm going to say good night. Thank you again to Andy, to Chrissy, and to Vinny for joining me. And thank you to all of you. And as I always say, guys, and it means more now than ever, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Happy New Year. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.